Xbox On. Welcome to Xbox On, a podcast with one host about one console, Xbox. I am said host, Jesse DeRosa, and on today's episode, we'll be talking about the latest Xbox news for the week of February 9th, 2023, including... More info has been revealed on the now-canceled Titanfall sequel, but fear not, as it seems Apex Legends is slowly starting to add more Titanfall elements into its platform. Take-Two announces some layoffs while noting the poor performance of Marvel Midnight Suns. Ubisoft Plus may be coming to the Xbox real soon. Gear 6 is reportedly now in active development, and more. On this day in Xbox history, in the year 2010, Bioshock 2 was released for the Xbox 360. Hello guys, welcome to episode 193 of the Xbox On Podcast. Dude, Bioshock 2, criminally underrated game. Can I can I, uh, can I I confess something about Bioshock? I desperately need to go back and replay this series because, uh, uh, embarrassing confession time, I'd never played Bioshock Infinite. The third, the third one, it just came out at a, a weird time for me, so I just never got to it. it. It came out like, I swear, like six months too early. I swear, I was just kind of at the end of my high school emo days. But I, if it had just come out maybe six months or a year later, I would have been all over that game. But I never played Bioshock Infinite. I played one. I played two. Loved them both dearly. Never played Infinite. I bought Infinite on PC many moons ago, and then I bought it again the Bioshock collection and I'm sure it's been on games of gold before so I have like 4,000 copies of it somewhere I just haven't played it yet but shout out to Bioshock 2 which is the game we're talking about that came out on this day in Xbox history developed by 2k Marin not by Irrational Games the only one of the three Bioshock games not made by Irrational a lot of people consider Bioshock 2 to be the ugly step you know redheaded stepchild of the uh of the of the series, but I actually really adore Bioshock, uh, Bioshock Two. Again, with that context of I've never experienced Bioshock Infinite, and I know I need to rectify that. Uh, I just I really really adore the first game, but I found the second game to be really excellent. I don't, I don't know. It's one of those few examples where I, I guess Bioshock Two probably happened right before a time where I was like. I was into gaming. I was like reading IGN every day and kind of keeping up with gaming news, but I wasn't dialed in enough to know that like, oh yeah, the people that made Bioshock 1 are not the same people that made Bioshock 2. And so it's one of those games where to me, you know, being a, fuck, how old was I in 2010? A 15-year-old at the time. I just assumed, you know, whatever, this is just more great Bioshock. And I, I know a lot of people complain that it's a little more action forward and it's environmental storytelling isn't as isn't as impressive, although, you know, you say differently when you play the DLC, the Minerva's Den, of course. Um, but I don't know, man. I, I enjoyed the hell out of Bioshock 2. In fact, there was a time when I was younger where I would have said Bioshock 2 I is, was my favorite of, of the first two Bioshock games, but I think I, I, I am a little bit more of a Bioshock 1 fan these days. Uh, although I've never I've never played Bioshock 2 a second time. I've only ever beaten the first one on multiple playthroughs. So anyway, lots of Bioshock talk. I'm excited, guys. Bioshock is a great game. 
We know Cloud Chamber is working on a new Bioshock game. We know Ken Levine has a has a Judas, which is a basically a Bioshock spiritual successor, which I think we're going to talk about in the news this week a little bit. So, I uh, got shout out to Bioshock, shout out to Ken Levine, shout out to Irrational, shout out to 2K Marin, shout out to Bioshock, one of the 360's finest games. If you haven't played it, then you haven't even played it yet. All right, guys. So on this week, I, I just uh, oh I keep forgetting to, to transition into this. Yes, let's let's start out this week by talking about the notable games that are releasing this week for Xbox. And uh, I'm kind of rebooting this because I kept I, I was actually a week behind every time I would talk about these. So now I'm going to try to talk week of. So this is redundant from last week, but nonetheless very relevant and pertinent because we got to talk about Hogwarts Legacy. It's out this week as of the time you're listening to this podcast. It is available to play. It's available to play if you bought the deluxe edition, whether digital or physical. So you can buy that expensive version and basically play three days early. Uh, but if you are buying the standard version of the game, it comes out on the 10th, which is Friday. So the day after this podcast goes live, I know people are just freaking super excited about this game. It's already broken Twitch streaming uh, records, which I think we'll talk about in a little bit as well. Uh, but yeah, no, no doubt Hogwarts Legacy is the biggest, hottest game so far of 2023. And I assume will be no doubt one of the biggest games of the year, especially when you consider sales. It looks like it's getting really strong reviews, which I'm honestly shocked to see. I really thought this game would be divisive due to the just made up bullshit controversy surrounding it. So uh, it really pleases me to see that, well, one, the game is good so that people who invest money and time into it will have something that's generally favorable and enjoyable. But it also really makes me happy because I have a huge soft spot for developer Avalanche that is making this game. These are the guys that made, not, not the Avalanche that makes Just Cause. This is the Avalanche that made Disney Infinity. They used to be owned by Disney. They were Disney's in-house uh, game developer they made the disney infinity games they made like the cars 2 video game the toy story 3 video game they were a really really excellent based out of salt lake city utah they were really really excellent double a ish under underfunded uh disney owned video game developer that i always had a lot of respect and admiration for and i just adored the hell out of the disney infinity series so in 2016 when the almighty bob Iger decided to shutter the studio and cancel disney infinity i was very, very, very heartbroken, uh, to say the least. If I could unlist or uh, relist some of my uh, uh, now unlisted, delisted, whatever YouTube videos from back in the day, you would see I have quite a few Disney Infinity videos where I just mourned the death of this franchise. But nonetheless, uh, as the story goes, WB Games ended up scooping up uh, the team Avalanche. They bought them from Disney and said, hey, instead of just def- you know dismantling and defuncting this studio, is that, is, can you verb defunct like that? Defuncting? like an active verb. Anyway, um, instead of just kind of, you know, dissipating the team, they, they actually ended up swooping in and buying them. And I guess they were already at work on a Cars 3 video game at the time because Cars 3, the movie, was in active de- development over at Pixar. And so WB bought them and then published a game shortly afterwards by them called for, for the Cars 3 movie called Cars 3 Driven to Win, which was such a licensed movie tie-in budgety game from that you know lost to time it seems like very much a ps2 era game uh but on the on the xbox one and uh it was actually pretty fun and uh anyway the the rumor quickly and after that became that these guys are hard at work on you know a new game using wb property now that they are no longer owned by disney they're owned by wb they can work on anything they can work on dc superheroes they can work on lord of the rings they could work on harry potter and very quickly the rumor spread uh, that they're probably working on a Harry Potter game. 
and there there are leaks. I think there were leaks as early as 2017, uh, fall of 2017, that suggested they were working on a Harry Potter game. And Hogwarts Legacy, I think, was confirmed in when was that announced? 2020, 2019. So I, I don't I don't even know why I'm going down memory lane. It's just obviously this Hogwarts Legacy is no doubt the biggest uh, biggest game so far of the year. And I think, you know, save for, like, the obvious ones, like Modern Warfare 2 and Madden and FIFA and all those, like, annualized, no-brainer, multi-million-selling games, um, as far as multi-platform kind of big game releases go, I, I would argue Hogwarts Legacy is probably the biggest game to come out since since uh, Elden Ring last, last February. So it's been a full year, but this is probably the most notable game. Obviously, I'm not including... PlayStation console exclusives like God of War, Ragnarok, and shit like that. But uh, as far as multi-platform games that are just going to make massive waves and, and just consume the entertainment space, not even just gaming, but the entertainment space as a whole, I think Hogwarts Legacy, between its reviews, its strong pre-order numbers, its strong streaming numbers, the, the fervor and excitement people have for this game, I think this is going to be that next water cooler kind of game. And I'm, I'm really excited because even though I actually really don't like Harry Potter as an IP. I've always found Harry Potter to be just kind of just goofy and, and lame and just kind of kind of just not. It's not my thing. Let's just put it that way. Um, it, it warms my heart to see this happen because I know Harry Potter fans have waited for a long time to have a truly great Harry Potter game. And it looks like they finally got it. It warms my heart to see that the team at Avalanche Software out in Salt Lake City, Utah, are well employed and, and, and well established enough to where they are going to be this game is definitely going to solidify them, put them on the map as a developer and give them the credibility and the respect to continue to not only exist, but thrive as a developer. And that makes me so happy because this is one of those developers I have a very emotional attachment to. So I just want to see these guys succeed and kick ass. So this makes me really happy. I'm, I'm purely going to purchase a Harry Potter video game just because I want to support these guys so badly. And because it's fucking cool. It's cool that, you know, it's like Lord of the Rings has had great video games. Spider-Man's had great video games. You think about a lot of like nerd culture things and the, and the fucking Evil Dead got a good video game before Harry Potter. Like, it's just one of those things where it's kind of crazy that, you know, I, I would say Harry Potter in terms of just being like inescapable mainstream mass consumer culture, kind of all encompassing. I would say that Harry Potter has been one of those IP ever since the first movie came out in what, 2001? So it's been a long, I know the books were massive before that, but it's been a long time coming and it's just cool that Harry Potter fans are going to get their game and Avalanche, so uh, Avalanche Software gets to just kind of be put on, on the, you know, on the map really. So I'm excited about this game. I'm definitely going to pre-order or not pre-order. I'm definitely going to download this game this weekend and, uh, give it a try, although I am preoccupied with some other games, so I might not really dig into it for another week or two. But that's the first game this, this week that's coming out. The second game that's coming out this week that I think is pretty notable, I talked about it a little bit last week, Wanted Dead. This game looks so fucking cool. Um, I, I think it's going to get absolutely buried. It comes out the same day as Hogwarts Legacy. It is a Japanese-developed action hack-and-slash Ninja Gaiden style, super stylish, over the top, insane, artistic looking uh, third person action game, and it just looks so fucking crazy. It looks, honest to God, it it, it reminds me of like if Hideo Kojima made a game with the ninja with with uh, Team Ninja, but set in like a cyberpunk Ninja Gaiden alt universe, and it just looks so fucking cool. I think this game. 
I, it, it's gonna. I'm, I'm pretty confident this game is gonna be great. I'm waiting for reviews uh, this weekend to kind of look it over. But I, I think if it weren't for Hogwarts Legacy and all that, this is definitely the game I'd be jumping into next. But I don't know. Depending on how reviews go, I might uh, be playing this game soon or unfortunately waiting for a sale. Um, but no, nonetheless, it looks very, very promising. I encourage people to take a look at it, uh, at least watch a trailer, see if that is something that might pique your interest because if you're looking for a good third-person action game, we don't know yet. Reviews aren't out. The game's not out. But it looks like this game might be one of those. So Wanted Dead coming out the same day as Hogwarts Legacy. God bless you. All right. So normally at this point, we jump into the updates, stories of mild amusement, things like that. And generally first, I would start with all the Activision news because if there's any updates to the Microsoft Activision deal or anything like that, we, we kind of just get it out of the way, glance over it real quick and move on with our lives. But this week we have like four or five updates on that story. And quite honestly, I don't give a shit. So what we're going to do is we're going to talk about all the other stories of mild amusement and then circle back to the Activision stuff before we jump into the main news that way i at least can do like the first 30 minutes of the podcast talking about things i care about and enjoy talking about and that way you know we can keep the podcast interesting and entertaining on the first half uh before we gotta get into the boring dry legal shit that doesn't really tell us much of anything uh because at this point let's be honest everyone is just armchair um courtroom talking at this point and just i don't i don't really think anyone knows what the hell is going on or where things are headed so i kind of just don't care uh, so we will circle back to that in a little bit, um, but I, I want to start with the more interesting stuff, beginning with our stories of mild amusement. The first one here is a somber one, but unlike last week, guys, I promise you, this podcast overall is not going to be a despondent and depressing episode. It is actually going to be quite the opposite because we got a lot of stories I'm pretty excited to talk about and some news that I think is either, some of these stories are either really positive or it's like a silver lining to an otherwise not so great story. Um, but this first one is just objectively sad for me at least. And so we'll just kind of knock this one out before we have an otherwise mostly uplifting podcast. And it is that Crossfire X, my beloved Crossfire X, which launched about a year ago this week or next week. It's it's almost exactly a year old, I think. Crossfire X is shutting down. So this is the official announcement directly from the email that Crossfire sent me that that Korean publisher uh, Stove, or Smilegate. Stove is like the parent company. Anyway, so the, yeah, the announcement reads the following quote: "It is with the deepest, it is with deep regret that we are informing you of our decision to end support for Crossfire X on May 18, 2022. 23. It's 23. It's not 2022. Since the launch of the game, we have worked tirelessly to bring." the game to a point where we can all be proud. And throughout it all, we've had the honor and pleasure of supporting our players. Coming to this decision was not easy, however. We can proudly say our players have been amazing, active, passionate, and enthusiastic and working with us to create blah, 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 blah. We want to thank everyone for playing the game and being on this journey, but effective immediately, here's the information you got to know. Effective immediately, all sales on the Xbox store will be halted. There will be no new content added to the game, maps, modes, camos, etc., Purchases made within the last 14 days as of February 3rd may be eligible for a refund. Please submit a refund request on, through the website. You can do that. Um, they say, our games, our games server will be closing on May 18, 2023 for the final time. But until then, you'll be able to enjoy all the previously purchased content and unlockables in the game. And then they said they also have FAQ on their website where you can get more additional information. The really sad part, which they don't put in this, like 
surface level effective immediately. You know, the, like the big surface level, not surface level, but the uh, like the immediate must know details, the the part they don't put in there, which I think is just so egregious and it's kind of timely because last week I was shrugging my shoulders and being like, "Who gives a shit if a game is always online if it's single player?" Well. Fuck me, Jesse. Karma's a bitch because Crossfire X's campaign, it has two campaigns, two three-hour really fun campaigns, will both be shutting down, going offline, removed from the store, erased from history, unplayable when this game goes offline on May 18, 2023. So I can understand the multiplayer component, but the campaign also, the campaign that is not multiplayer, not co-op, doesn't need an online connection, is going offline and being removed and unplayable. You got to be connected to the internet in order to play this campaign. What the hell? So needless to say, I am crestfallen. I am heartbroken. I know it's kind of a meme. I'm sure we've literally lost listeners as a result of me championing this game, but I don't care. I love Crossfire X. I really, really loved this game. It, 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 it scratched a very, very peculiar, peculiar, sorry, peculiar itch that I just really haven't thought about or had in a long time. And there was just something about it where it was just a a beautiful mess of a game. Yes, it had its issues. Yes, it was rough around the edges. Yes, there was really no reason why you should drop everything and play this game in a world where Call of Duty and Halo Infinite and all these other games are so buttery smooth and polished and just more together than this game was. But I really, really loved Crossfire X. I think this game was criminally misunderstood. I think it was poorly marketed. I think people really just didn't understand that this was more of a Counter-Strike style game on console than it was like a Call of Duty on console. And so people were constantly pissed off about the lack of additional maps. And people were always bugging out about the game not being like super like twitchy, smooth, whatever. Although I I will admit the game definitely wasn't optimized and running amazing compared to some other games in this in the um that that this game would compete with it's just it was a really fun game and it was just i don't know i just feel like we don't talk about this enough in in games and i've I've gone on this tangent a couple times last year talking about this game so i'll keep it brief but there is a time and place i believe for the game that that is a six out of ten that you can just say, you know, this game, I, I can see its flaws. It wears its flaws on its sleeve. It's not particularly impressive, whether that be visuals or writing or storytelling or cinematics or moment-to-moment gameplay or whatever. But there's like some nugget. There's something there to the game where like it just resonates with you. I think everyone has a handful of games like that where they can say, oh, this game reviewed terribly or this game sold poorly or people really don't like this game. But for whatever reason this game holds a very special place in my heart. I think everyone, especially from childhood, you can always reach back and pick out like a PS1 game or a, you know N64 game or something that's kind of shitty, but you played it when you were eight and you didn't know what a good game was, you know, by comparison, so you just kind of like it. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about genuinely being old enough and cognizant enough and having enough critical thinking skill to, to say, I can acknowledge this game is technically not a, a, an objective great game, a masterpiece of a game, a really impressive game, whatever, but you can, but there's just something about the game where it connects with you on an individual level, not, not that your Twitter friends said it was cool, not that your favorite YouTube influencer told you it was a good game or any of that, it's just that you as a human with like autonomy and an ability to have personalized opinions that you don't always have, not everyone has to agree with, you can just connect with something, even if it is technically not that great, you know? And Crossfire X was one of those things for me, and it's just, I'm, I'm not going on and on to, to like try and justify why I like a game that a lot of people consider to be terrible. I'm going on and on because 
I think it's really special to find a game like that. I think this is such an under-celebrated thing that I'm sure more people do have examples of and resonate with, and it just goes so under-discussed. You know, we're always talking about the next big game and what game is going to steal the show for this year and what's the game that is going to make all eyes turn to this console or this platform or whatever, but it's like, I don't know, do we ever just talk about, like, the personal intimate stories of, like, Uh, I remember this game. I'll always remember it well because it wasn't necessarily a game everyone was talking about, but it was a game I discovered, I stumbled upon, and it just meant a lot to me. It reminds me of a specific time and place. I just really enjoyed the time I spent with it. I feel like that intimate, personal kind of relationship that we all have with a couple games here or there, under-discussed. Crossfire X was one of those games for me, so it, it saddens me to know it's just going away. I get it. You know, I played this game pretty regularly up until around Halloween time last year. The game never recovered. Its player base only got worse and worse. Even as they continued to tweak the feeling and the look of the game, even as they continued to add tons of new features, battle passes, maps, modes, and they did. They really did start putting out a lot of content for this game. Seasonal events, Halloween, Christmas events, etc. Even as they started to do that, the player base just never recovered from that really terrible launch it had. And um, it sucks because the game, I think, is a lot more special than people give it credit for. And, uh, you know, it's one of those things. The market speaks and sometimes... The market speaks in a way that you as a person don't agree with. And in this case, yeah, the audience the audience spoke and said, Crossfire X, no bueno. The part that just makes me extra sad is the campaigns in particular. I, I really encourage you in these last few months before this game has gone forever, if you've never played the campaigns, just give one of them a try. Just do it. I promise you. It's really fucking cool. They're about two and a half, three hours long each. They're pretty, they're pretty fun little Saturday afternoon romps, and I, I just... If you enjoy a little bit of a first-person shooter campaign with some of that Remedy Entertainment charm and a little bit of like a Quantum Break kind of charm to it, I I really think you'd like these campaigns. Even if you think the controls are a little whack or the game's not the most amazing game ever, I I think you might have a pretty good time with these. So, Rest in peace, Crossfire X. I'm going to have to do a couple streams before this ends, and uh, I want to record full gameplay videos of the campaigns um, I don't know what I'll do with them. I don't know if I'll upload them, but I just want to have them for posterity. So I will have to do a lot of streaming and recording of this game before it has gone for life for good. But um, rest in peace, Crossfire X. I love you. I'm sure most people don't give a shit. <laughs> but anyway, let's let's continue on. So take two. Well, I, I guess this is technically this isn't this is technically not super great news either. I, I forgot about this one, but I, I don't want to have like a woes me conversation about it because I do I do have a I, I do want to. I, I wonder about something that we're going to come across in this story. So let's just jump into it. So this is two stories. I'm just kind of merging all into one because they're all related. Take-Two, the, the publisher, uh, CEO of the company, Strauss Zelnick, has reported that reportedly said that Marvel's Midnight Suns uh, release window may have been a contributing factor to why the game commercially was a disappointment. Marvel Midnight Suns was released in early December, as listeners might remember, just two months ago. While the game was well-received critically, all versions were heavily discounted on all platforms within one month of the game's release, suggesting that the publisher had been disappointed with the commercial performance of the game. This is seemingly conf- this was seemingly confirmed this past Monday when Bloomberg's reporting from Jason Schreier reported or said that the game had flopped at retail. Uh, Take-Two boss Strauss Zelnick told the publication, It's possible the, the release window was not perfect, 
but he but he does believe that Midnight Suns could sell well in the long term, like other titles from developer Fraxis Games had have rather they make the uh, Infraxis makes the XCOM games. So I I do think that you know CEO trying to save face a little bit. I do think that is a fair point. These kinds of games do have a tendency to kind of continue on even if they're not a a huge heavy hitter sales wise. They might have you know legs to them you know especially on like Steam sales and things like that. But uh, the other half of this story is that Take-Two boss also announced that the company is set to lay off or make massive layoffs uh, to the part of as part of a $50 million cost reduction program they've announced this past week. The Rockstar and 2K Games owner revealed plans as a part of its uh, these plans during their earnings call uh, for the third fiscal quarter ending in December 2022, saying, quote, in light of the current backdrop, take too strong commitment to efficiency. The company is implementing a cost reduction program expedite, expected to yield over 50 million of annual savings, which it would begin to realize in the fourth quarter of fiscal year 23. The program includes personnel, process, infrastructure, and other areas, while primarily focusing on corporate and publishing functions. Quote, the cost reduction program, in addition to over $100 million worth of cost synergies, uh, the company is expects, expects to realize from its combination with Zynga, and it is not expected to impact the delivery of robust multi-year pipeline worth of games. So, gamesindustry.biz reports that CEO Zelnick said, the company isn't planning a broad-based reduction workforce, but that they continue to support and build the development teams where they have overhead. They are being very diligent about looking at the overhead, which basically means we're going to look for inefficiencies and redundancies in personnel and fire people to save money. So, obviously not a good thing. We're seeing more and more of this. Lots of companies taking the chicken shit approach uh, during this uh, quote-unquote looming economic recession that we're apparently in where everyone is just barely getting by but we're sorry where everyone is basically just living the same as always but shit's just really expensive uh where tech companies are laying people off because it's trendy or something i don't freaking know but i I don't want to focus i whatever we read that i've said my piece about layoffs when we talked about microsoft a few weeks back but i want to focus on this uh, marvel midnight sun part more specifically because I don't know. What what do you guys think about this idea that the game's release window has everything to do with why it sold poorly? Because the other big December release that we know about, which was from which was from Crafton, the PUBG guys, uh, was Callisto Protocol, which also we talked about a few weeks ago, apparently underperformed in terms of sales and all that uh, by developer by the developer standards. So do we think that December as a release window is is a bad idea. You're sending your game out to die, or do we think it's just a coincidence that seemingly you know both Callisto Protocol and Marvel Midnight Suns uh, both kind of underperformed compared to what their respective publishers had anticipated for them? I just wonder what you guys think about that because I, I think there's a couple ways you can go with this. You know, not to go on too long about it, but you know, Callisto Protocol. I think that has everything to do with the game being way too bloated on the budget and with the publisher having unrealistic expectations for its sales. Otherwise, I think, you know, that game had a really respective 2 million sales in its first couple weeks, which I think is great for a brand new horror IP. Um, but with Marvel Midnight Suns, I think there's a little more of a head-scratching moment kind of going on because you assume this game, you know, uh, we don't know any reporting that says to the contrary, but we assume that Marvel Midnight Suns was done on a pretty respectable budget for, you know, the scale and scope of what it is. The most expensive aspect, no doubt, probably being the Marvel license they had to get from Disney in order to make this game. Um, but this is now the second time we've seen in relative recent history a game with the Marvel IP attached to it that's just 
kind of really underperforming. And I wonder what you guys think about that. Is this is this a sign that the Marvel IP is just insanely expensive and that it makes game development kind of untenable? But on the contrary, you know, of course, I'm talking about in conjunction with Midnight Suns, um, Square Enix, Crystal Dynamics, Marvel's Avengers game that came out in 2020 and also didn't meet expectations. And then, but you think about that a little further, and you're like, well, Sony's making those Spider-Man games with Insomniac, and those games are doing insanely well, selling tons of copies, critical darlings, beloved games, really, really fun. So clearly that's not always the case. And so I I just kind of wonder what we think about this. It seems like the Marvel IP is not enough to just sell the game. Some of these games are just not really doing well. And do we think the December release timeframe for Midnight Suns is, is the thing that that kind of spelled doom for this game because it seems like people who do play it really like it and that the game has quite interesting storytelling and really good writing and really good gameplay. But then on the other hand, you got to consider Midnight Suns. It's kind of a more niche product with that kind of tactical combat game with some card elements to it. So it's not really, you know, friendly to everyone. The, the guy who walks around wearing the Captain America t-shirt or the Black Panther t-shirt, uh, you know, that you see at the grocery store isn't necessarily the same guy who's, at home at night playing Marvel Midnight Suns on Xbox. It's just it, one's a little bit more niche than, you know, like the, the MCU movies to say the least. So I don't know. I wonder what we think about this because my, I guess my bigger takeaway, I focus, I, I've made this conversation more on like, do you think Marvel games are, are kind of a, are, are kind of a, are kind of like a bad omen in a way for publishers because of how we've seen some of these recent Marvel games perform. But I, I really don't think, that's true. I really just think, you know, because I think this upcoming Wolverine game from Insomniac is probably going to do great. I think you could make, you know, uh, Nintendo did that Marvel Ultimate Alliance 3 game a few years ago, which did really well. I feel like you could do a really great Marvel game. It's just, or one that gains massive success. It's just, we're not necessarily attaching Marvel IP to the correct games. And then the other half of this is the is the December release window conversation, which I hope that's not the case that December is a bad time to put out games because I really love the idea of December being a time to put games out because after that September, October, November bum rush you get with the big fall releases, it's nice to have a little something in December that's new and fresh so that as you head into that like end of year where the news slows down and a lot of people are out of work and school for a little while and the holidays are around the corner. It's nice to have something that's super, super fresh right around that window. And I think there's something special about having that. Like I think about Callisto Protocol and how I played that game the week of Christmas. And that was just so perfect to have that brand new experience during that holiday season. And I just, I don't know, I, I like the idea of games being able to come out around that time. I wonder what you guys think about that being, you know, is this pure coincidence or is that a bad time to be putting games out? I don't know. You think people get like their holiday money from like Hanukkah or Christmas or something, and maybe they want to splurge and buy a new game. If you got a brand new game coming out around the holidays like that, that might be a pretty pretty good time to release a game. You would think. So I don't know. Just curious what you guys think about that one. All right, moving on. We got some Halo Infinite news, but it's really positive, really exciting Halo Infinite news. So let's jump in real quick. This week from Windows Central, a surprise Halo Infinite update has begun to roll out. A new free uh, event titled Noble Intention, complete with a 10-tier battle pass for free that players can earn a variety of new rewards from. The uh, big draw of the update is that a community collections playlist has been added to multiplayer matchmaking, which includes several Forge made maps by the game's community. The playlist features Slayer, Strongholds, Oddball, King of the Hill, CTF, and One Flag CTF arena modes across a variety of community made maps, including Perilous, Starboard, Salvation, and Absolution. Perilous, an overgrown UNSC facility that is a UNS 
sorry, is an overgrown UNSC facility that gets players right into the action with a layout that evokes Halo 3's Guardian map. Yes. Starboard is an absolutely beautiful, detailed, uh, this is from Windows Central, UNSC-themed reimagination of the classic three-lane map, Midship. Salvation is a banished and Forerunner-themed remake of the popular Halo CE map, Damnation. And Absolution is an original stage inspired by the aesthetic of Delta Halo, located on, or location from the Halo 2 campaign. So, Yes, 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 yes. Those all sound phenomenal. Obviously, this is a big draw, big reason to come back. Not only that, but the Noble Attentions event itself is themed after two conceptual characters from Halo Reach, uh, Rosenda A344 and Thom, Tom, Tom with an H, I don't know, A293. Uh, the latter appeared in a fan favorite Deliver Hope trailer. Yeah, I'm unfamiliar with these characters. Uh, my, my nerdy understanding of Halo doesn't go that far, I guess. But by completing the game's challenges and accruing XP during Noble Intention, players can earn armor kits that look exactly like the Mjolnir suits worn by these characters, as well as several recon and CDO armor pieces. Anyway, the event is available until February February 21st, so you only got about really like two weeks, less than two weeks to really jump in and play this. I'm really excited. I think the, the multiplayer playlist will remain after the event, but the 10-tier battle pass nonetheless. You know, you only got about two weeks to get into that so i'm really looking forward to this i think this is the playlist halo infinite has absolutely needed is some really great top tier community made for forge maps thrown into a matchmaking playlist i want it i love it that was one of my favorite things to do in halo 5 um that was i just i can't wait to jump into that and play these reimagined versions of classic halo maps and just see these these awesome maps created by the community and get to experience them in my favorite way which is just playing some classic halo slayer so that i'm really excited for and then the free and then the free battle pass obviously as well nice to always get some freebies especially on a game that just has egregious um in-game transactions for its uh, cosmetics so always nice to get some freebies in this game so i'm really looking forward to this definitely gonna have to check this out this weekend i hope you guys are looking forward to it as well remember even though there's a lot of doom and gloom surrounding 343 and the future of halo and the future of halo infinite and all these things doesn't mean we can't enjoy the product that exists as is because halo infinite is a great game that definitely was missing some content at launch definitely had some missteps definitely had some low points but nonetheless the game in its completed form, the game in its current form, is a great game, and I am looking forward to experiencing more of it and playing more of it through this update instead of just being a whiny, bitchy Halo fan. That's how I'm going to choose to respond to this, so definitely going to have to check that out. And then the last, is this the last one? No, second to last one. Interesting uh, story regarding Dragon Age Dreadwolf, the seemingly never-coming Dragon Age game that's in development. VGC reports that Gameplay has leaked online, uh, offering a first look at BioWare's new RPG sequel in action. An anonymous Reddit user shared an early footage uh, of the game this past week and claiming that it was actually captured by a playtester with access to an early build of the game. While the user did not share the entire gameplay video, they did publish screen captures and descriptions of what is shown, and you can go online and basically find these. It's pretty easy to find them. So they say they had about 20 minutes of gameplay involving one segment or dungeon. They wrote the entire gameplay is set, uh, is set within the Grey Warden Fortress HQ of Weissop, some German thing. I don't, I don't freaking know. Some some European word. The player characters, sorry, quote, the player character is an elvish knight class. The character, uh, sorry, and they've, and they've got a sword and shield. 
They also have two party members, another knight dude, uh, dude and a female dwarf rogue. Uh, but apparently, here's the really interesting part. They, they said in the description, the combat of the game is completely in real time and similar to a hack and slash game. Uh, the guiding reference point would be God of War 2018, where players feel regular combo attacks and their abilities as well as special bar, which generate which generates allowing uh, players to pull off special moves. They said as character as the character uh, as the character was a sword and shield person, he was able to parry attacks from enemies and follow up with counters. So it's hard to tell exact abilities other than the two on hotkeys alongside with specials abilities. But it appears that basically there'll be a drop kick and a charge sword attack. Blah, 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 blah. They go on. So obviously the game doesn't look super, super good. But, you know, it's early build. The animations aren't all that. But apparently the game is coming along quite well, according to this description. And there's no doubt from these ga- these screenshots that this is real leaked footage. You know, whether or not it's relatively recent or not, you know, who, who really knows. But it looks, it looks real, which is uh, more than I could ever think I'd get to say about this game. Because I've just been, for the longest time, doubting the legitimacy of this game's existence. And so to see these screenshots, and I think they're pretty believable... You know, it just it's exciting because I know people are waiting. I know Dragon Age fans have wanted this game for a very long time. It's been a long time since 2014, uh, uh, where we got Dragon Age Inquisition, which was the last entry in the series. So I know people are really excited, and I think having a more action direct kind of combat traditional style, third person action style combat setup would maybe do this game some good and trying to just broaden its audience horizon. Although I'm sure there's some more uh, traditionalist Dragon Age fans who will not be pleased with this change. But I encourage people to go online uh, and look it up. The The original Reddit post, I don't think has the pictures anymore, but you can easily find them online. You know, once something's on the internet, it's out there for good. So I definitely recommend you guys look it up, see what you think for yourselves. And uh, it looks like, you know, whether it's this year or next year, I think the game's probably still another year away. It's probably a a 2024 game um, at the earliest, but it it looks like this game is real, you know, despite all the many people coming in and out of Bioware, constantly leaving the studio, all the turmoil that seems to be happening behind the scenes. It looks like this game in some form or fashion, whether tortured or not, is progressing. And uh, I know people are really looking forward to that. So for you guys and you guys alone, I am excited for Dragon Age Dreadwolf. Lastly, I want to talk about this little error message that popped up on the Xbox 360 Marketplace this past week because people were wondering about this one, and I guess I'm a little curious as well. So VGC reports that Microsoft has stated that a support message warning players that the Xbox 360 Marketplace would be closing soon was an error. Reddit user GPro2005 spotted uh, the message while searching Xbox's support page uh, for news of the Marketplace. One of the search results showed a message warning that the store was closing soon saying quote we will be closing the xbox 360 marketplace over the next year so we encourage you to purchase any 360 games or dlc by may of 2023 clicking on the article would reportedly take players to a different message informing them that the planned removal of the certain digital xbox 360 games as confirmed by microsoft last week however microsoft has since claimed that the message was an error and that the global product marketing manager brie adams told the verge quote this message was posted in error and we can confirm that the xbox 360 marketplace will not close in may of 2023 as a reminder beginning on february 20 or on february 7th 2023 a limited set of games add-ons and in-game content will no longer be purchasable on the xbox 360 storefront which we talked about the other week so i think the big takeaway here for me is just that why would this message exist 
if there was never any truth to it, if it was an error. Like, like if I if I mess up something on my computer and I run into an error, it might show like a colon one two three dash hyphen in log uh, system error offline standby eight seven four six nine. You know, I like you might get a message like that if you stumble across an error. Um, but you don't normally stumble across an error that's like, yeah, the storefront is closing and everything you love is gone. You know, like I, I, that's not, you know, a, a mistake would be like if so, you, you walk in on someone you love having a stroke and they're slurring their words and you rush them to the hospital. That's, you know, that's an error. An error is not walking in on your spouse saying, I'm leaving you. It's over. I never loved you anyway. I'm taking the money. I'm taking the kids and I'm taking the Maserati. Fuck you. Fuck you. Fuck you. That's not an error. That's like a deliberate message. Someone had to think about that. That's premeditative. So I guess my concern is like, sure, it's, it's the storefront's probably not closing the next year. It was an error that the message popped up. But someone would have had to create that message in the first place and somehow link it to where it could be found in association, in a relation to clicking through the Xbox 360 marketplace online. So it sounds like they were either contemplating this or they are planning this, but it's just not here yet. And so I, I don't know. I, I feel like this is uh, the damage control isn't really saying, don't worry, Xbox 360's marketplace is going to be online for years and years to come. It's more saying, oh, that's not right. We haven't we haven't set a date yet. But don't worry about it. Look at look somewhere else. Look at something else. Look, shadow puppets, you know, flashlight against the wall. I don't know. I just, uh, I, I can't help but think of this news as like, uh, all right, guys, get ready. Because in the next year or so, we're probably going to learn about the Xbox 360 marketplace shutting down for good. Which I don't, I don't think it's the worst thing in the world if this happens at some point. I do think February 2023, or I, I do, sorry, I do think 2023 is too soon for that to happen. I feel like you probably need to have this marketplace online, I don't know, for at least, I would say at least through the rest of the generation, just because too many of those games are, are still too relevant. You just have, you just have a situation where that era of gaming is still too, it's still too accessible and relevant for you to be cutting off ties with it. And I understand, like, you can basically access everything through the Xbox One, Xbox Series X, and S consoles, but I don't think in all markets, you know, people are as up-to-date and on board with the latest and greatest as we are in a lot of these, you know, more privileged Western markets, like like North America and such. So I just, I don't know, I don't, I don't really think it's a great time to be sunsetting the Xbox 360 marketplace. I do understand that there will be a day in time where it has to happen. Um, but I just, I feel that it's personally a bit too early. Do I care? Do I, am I personally going to be devastated if it happens? No. You know, other than nostalgia's sake, I'm ready to part ways with the 360. There's really nothing there for me anymore, you know? But I, I do think there, I wouldn't be surprised that there are still people in like fucking Brazil who still need access to the Xbox 360 storefront because if they wanted to buy an Xbox Series S, it would cost them $2.9 billion to import it from somewhere else. So I don't know. I just feel like it's a little short sighted to do something like that so soon. And while it seems Xbox isn't ready to do that just yet, they had to be thinking about it because error messages don't pop up that just happen to say your worst nightmares in one swoop statement. So I, I don't know, man. All right, that's it for all the stories of mild amusement. As promised previously, we will circle back now to the Activision updates and news of the week. So we have one, two, three, four, five Activision stories. What I'm really going to do, and I, I've just kind of condensed them, 
We're going to kind of read through them. We'll stop if we have something to say, but I don't really anticipate we'll have much to say about this. But we'll just kind of get through them, say, hey, there's your updates on Activision, Microsoft's deal for the week. And then we'll move into the proper new segment where we can talk about the really interesting stuff with Gear 6 and Apex Legends getting a deathmatch mode and all these kinds of fun things that don't have to do with Bobby Kotick um, harassing women or Microsoft swearing that players are at the center of the universe and PlayStation bitching and moaning to the Europeans. All right, so the first one is actually related to the... The first one's actually not related to the Microsoft Activision deal. It's actually related to the Activision Blizzard uh, charges, mis uh, workplace misconduct charges from two years ago. So let's talk about that one real quick first. So from VGC, and I think these are all from VGC, Activision Blizzard has agreed to pay $35 million in a settle to settle a pair of charges related to complaints of workplace misconduct. The U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission has been announced. In a statement released on Friday, the SEC said Call of Duty Warcraft publisher had previously lacked the tools and procedures necessary to adequately collect and analyze employee complaints in the workplace. A government, the government agency, which is tasked with protecting investors and maintaining fair Orderly and efficient markets also said Activision Blizzard has broken the law by violating an SEC whistleblower protection rule. So there's your update on that. Remember when that was in the news every week? And then it was replaced by this next story, which we got four updates on. So the first one <laughs> on the Microsoft Activision deal. Microsoft has said that they are confident they can address European Union concerns after being issued an antitrust warning over its proposed acquisition of Activision Blizzard. As expected, the this past week, the EU issued Microsoft with a charge sheet setting out a uh, their concerns about the $69 billion deal, according to Political, uh, Politico's reporting. Uh, in response to the EU statement of, of objections, Microsoft told the publication that it is committed to finding a path forward for the deal. We are listening carefully to the European Commission's concerns and are confident we can address them, said a spokesperson from Microsoft. So the only thing I will say to that is that we did have that conversation at the end of 2022, judging by how this goes with these deadlines coming up for these different boards. Microsoft might want to take that out, you know, pay the kill fee and get out of this deal before before it gets any worse and before they, they don't have a way out, um, which would be sometime this spring. I think it's in April. But it seems like they keep really doubling, tripling down on this idea that like, hey, we're we're going to try absolutely everything to make this deal work. We want to make this deal work. So they might really be in it for long for the long haul. And I, I think they are at this point. Uh, it's, it's very personal. <laughs> There's a lot of money on the line. And I think they just want to get the shit done. So they're they're pretty determined to make that happen. Uh, but the next part of the uh, of the updates is that Microsoft is reportedly expecting the UK's regulator to oppose its acquisition of Activision Blizzard after the EU issued its own antitrust warning this week. That's according to a New York Times report, which states that Microsoft's legal team also expects the antitrust authorities in Britain to oppose the transition transaction. According to the report, Microsoft believes that the European Commission is open to potential remedies, and the company is hoping to convince both the UK and the European Union to to accept its concessions and approve the deal. Then in turn, they could make it easier to reach an agreement with the FTC before a scheduled trial later this year, it's claimed. At the same time, it's claimed that any of the three agencies could insist or could instead put pressure on the others to oppose the acquisition. Before we say anything about that, let's read the next one because it's more directly related to that one, where Windows Central reports that the UK 
Competition and Markets Authority, the CMA, shared their provision findings regarding Microsoft's purchase of Activision. The governing body found that the deal raises concerns about the cloud ga- about cloud gaming and console gaming. The summary of findings highlighted potential uh, stifling of competition within the cloud gaming space as well as console gaming. So I, I want to read this part because it's just mind-boggling. It just shows how much these fucking political figureheads or, or how much these uh, uh, government agencies and political figureheads just don't understand fucking dick about video games. Uh, according to the CMA, Microsoft purchase Microsoft purchasing Activision Blizzard could result in a in higher prices for games, fewer choices for consumers, or less innovation for UK gamers. The CMA argued that Microsoft's cloud gaming efforts would benefit from having exclusive content. Uh, the statement did not mention Microsoft's promise to keep Call of Duty available on multiple multiple platforms for 10 years, which is funny because Microsoft doesn't shut up about their promise to do that. Meanwhile, Sony keeps going over to Europe and, and schmoozing with the uh, the aristocrats about this deal. So, um, hmm, curious that they would leave out that crucial bit of information that just kind of unravels their whole uh, list of concerns. But here's the real kicker. The finding also pointed out that Microsoft's uh, dominance in the PC operating space, Windows, Windows computers, Windows operating system, and their cloud infrastructure with Azure and Xbox Cloud Gaming. Um, So they, they, they bring this up to say, some of the points made by the CMA have raised eyebrows and led to questions. One portion of the statement says, quote, merger could make Microsoft even stronger in cloud gaming, stifling competition in its growing markets and harming UK gamers who cannot afford expensive consoles. That phrasing is confusing, as as uh, um, Windows Century aptly points out, as it seems to connect console gaming to cloud gaming. The, <laughs> so here's the thing, and, and, they, and they've set a deadline by March 1st to take these findings and come up with a, uh, and for Microsoft to remedy these concerns that the CMA has. I want to read that, that one little kicker again, where they say <laughs> the merger could make Microsoft even stronger in cloud gaming, stifling competition in, in the growing market and harming UK gamers who cannot afford expensive console gaming. So Microsoft having uh, a lot of access and ability to invest in cloud video gaming could be harmful to gamers that cannot afford expensive video game consoles. So being able to stream Xbox content to any fucking device, whether it be an iPad or an Xbox or PC, is going to be detrimental to UK gamers who cannot afford a $500 Xbox Series X. Yep, that makes sense. Good job, good job, Britain. This is why you lost us. This is why you lost us back in the 1700s. This is why you will never get us back. This is why your people are so incredibly content to just spend all day giving their fucking tax dollars to the uh, to the to the celebrity welfare system that is your stupid monarch. This is why you can't get it together. This is why you guys drink tea all day and you don't use dental floss. It's because of this shit. It's because of this shit. It's because you're not thinking with your brain. Instead, you let J- cry, you, you, you let Jim Ryan from PlayStation fly on over on his private jet probably has a fucking swastika on the plane if i'm being honest i'm not a console warrior i'm just saying you know and he flies on over to the uk he lands it's probably cloudy and rainy because it's the only season you guys know and he gets out there it's a little chilly it's a little sad so he puts some beans on his toast and he gives them to the cma and the cma cheers up because they don't because they didn't know that there are good treats in this world and they, they get all excited about their baked beans on on fucking sunbeam bread that's three weeks stale but the toaster kind of made it all right i guess and then they're like oh thank you playstation you're so good to us and chap 
and then they and then they they put Jim Ryan on their new money because the Queen is dead and they don't know what to do without her. And then then PlayStation becomes the official console of the UK, and then all the UK gamers uh, start to riot because they want Xbox, they want choice, but they're too apparently these these gamers are too poor to afford expensive consoles, so it would be harmful for Microsoft to have uh, you know a, a great access to cloud gaming. So. That's that's the gist of how it goes, and if that made no sense to you, well, then maybe I'm British too. Uh, but no, without without ups- upsetting the the remaining singular British listener uh, or or uh, UK listener of the podcast. All joking aside, I just I just don't I just don't understand. <laughs> like we we know uh, like I, no whatever I love PlayStation, but I'm just talking about this from like a trying to make sense of what's happening here. We all know you know PlayStation has a vested interest in trying to keep Xbox at bay for comp- competition's sake and for trying to remain the dominant player in the space. So whatever, I understand their business trying to operate a business. I get it. But it seems pretty obvious uh, from the many stories we've heard and now the responses from the CMA that it seems like PlayStation, Sony is sending their best and brightest to go over there, rub elbows with these different people and to kind of push their agenda because I just, like, I understand. Like, I also have my apprehensions about big corporations consolidating all the entertainment in the world and all the all the companies in the world and everything like that. I I, I, I get that concern, but you're 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 going on and on about Microsoft making Call of Duty exclusive, which isn't even a talking point. I mean like explain Minecraft, motherfuckers. And then we're going on and on about how if Microsoft has a strong streaming gaming platform, it would be disadvantageous to people with less money who can't afford expensive Xboxes, which makes negative 74% sense. And then, oh yeah, on top of that, who are the fucking cloud gaming competitors? Please enlighten me. Enlighten me. Who the hell are they? Is it Sony's bullshit, half-assed, really crappy streaming Gaikai service they have on PlayStation? That That's not even me trying to be fanboy. It's just, apparently that service like really fucking sucks. It's really, really shitty. So is that the big competitor? Or is, you know, is, is the big competitor Google Stadia, which no longer exists? Like, I'm, I'm just, I'm not even saying Microsoft is superior. I'm saying Microsoft literally doesn't even have a competitor. So it's not like, it's not like they're crushing the competition by getting Activision. They're just continuing to expand in a space they already kind of operate in independently from literally everyone else because no one's really doing it. I think NVIDIA has GeForce now. I think that's like really the only other alternative I can think of. And that one is, is pretty viable and, and respected, but I, I mean, damn dude, like what the hell are these guys even talking about? And then the final update uh, from VGC, uh, this is Bobby Kodak. And I don't even know what he means by this. I'm kind of, I'm kind of put off by this comment. And I kind of hope this CMA shoots down Microsoft just because Bobby Kodak said this and it made me uncomfortable. Uh, but Activision Blizzard CEO Bobby Kodak claimed that blocking Microsoft's ac- acquisition of the Call of Duty publisher would represent a major blow to the UK government's ambitions of becoming a technological superpower. The UK Competition and Market Authority, or the CMA, is expected to issue provisional findings, which we just talked about. So this article is a little old. But they said, but Bobby Kodak said, quote, if a deal like this can't get through, then they are not going to be Silicon Valley. They're going to be Death Valley. Kodak told CNBC in a television interview on Tuesday last this past week. The same day as the UK Prime Minister Rishi Sunak announced the creation of a new standalone government department for science, innovation, and technology. Uh, so I guess I, I, I guess I do get the statement because he's saying it in regards to that that announcement of the new 
<laughs> of the new uh, government department. But um, it's funny, dude. Bobby Kotick is 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 uh, trying to burn the UK, and I think it's funny. And 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 for those who get who are gonna get offended, remember Activision loves the UK. Remember half the Call of Duty characters in the new game are British people. So clearly, don't get offended. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. Just eat, put some more beans on your toast and calm down. All right. That is it for all of our stories of mild amusement. Updates, corrections, things to say that aren't the main news segments, things that aren't, are, are, are worth saying that aren't comments, um, parts of the Xbox show that are about Xbox. We're an hour in. Holy shit. <laughs> let's uh, let's uh, move on to the games we've been playing this week, and then we can talk about our big news stories. So, yeah, as for what I've been playing, I'm excited to get to that because I have a lot to say. But before I can get into that, I do got to take a break and tell you about what I've been eating because, boy, oh, boy, am I excited to tell you about this one, guys. Cheetos Asteroids are back, baby. They are back. You might be saying, Jesse, what are Cheetos Asteroids? At which point I would say, you are dumb. Do you not remember 2001? Do you not remember the old days? Do you not remember when Simple Plan was at the Kids' Choice Awards and everyone freaked out and got slimed on and you got a little orange blimpy uh, award for being, a, uh, for being a band that resonates with nine-year-old boys? Do you not understand what I'm talking about? So Cheetos Asteroids are back, and here's what I'm talking about. For those who don't know, Cheetos Asteroids, you know Cheetos, the chips, the popular Frito-Lay snack, um, corn chip snack. So Cheetos uh, had a a product called Asteroids, and this was like probably late 90s, early 2000s, back when things were like really wacky and fun, and like it was okay for brands to like have some kind of like interesting appeal and not just be um, all gray and boxy and sad looking. And uh, Cheetos Asteroids were like a little, it was like a plastic tube, think Kind of like a Pringles can, but more like a tennis ball can. And um, it was like this little tubular can. And you'd pop open the lid, and inside would be tiny Cheetos puff balls. The thing that was so nice about these is they were small and crunchy enough where they were like this hybrid between like a regular classic Cheeto and a Cheetos puff. It was like more like the texture uh, it was like a, a mix of the textures of the two, but with a little bit more of the Cheetos puffs texture. But it still it tastes kind of like its own thing. It's really weird and hard to describe it. I don't know how the size makes this much of a difference, but Cheetos Asteroids just, as the kids would say, hit differently, and you got to take my word for it. I love these things. They were such a treat to have back in the day. I remember I went to summer. I went to a space. Uh, science space summer camp one year me and Cronky went to that and my mom would pack us with Cheetos asteroids um, every day for lunch during that because it was like a summer camp thing so I was like oh cool I get the good snacks normally during the school year I get like an apple or a Rice Krispie treat but no I get Cheetos asteroids because it's it's the fucking 2000s and we're moving we're going places um, and so that was, that was, that was my experience with Cheetos Asteroids. The branding was cool. The label looked super cool. The snack was delicious. The form factor was fun to carry and eat it. Very few foods out there where I can say it is both fun to eat and fun to carry around with you. And when you're a student, when you're a kid, you carry a lunchbox, you go to school, the, 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 the carrying around factor of your food is a very important thing to consider. Putting a sandwich in a sandwich bag, not cool. Carrying a tube of tennis balls filled with small Cheetos puffs with a really cool 90s wacky tacky logo on it. Cool. And that's what made Cheetos Asteroids so special. So Jesse, why are you talking about a snack from 20 years ago? Well, because guys, Cheetos Asteroids are back. Now, it's not 100% what it used to be. The good news, the most important point is 
the snack still looks and tastes exactly identical to how it did back in the day. The most important part. So the snack is still delicious. I can still recommend it to you. Look for it in your local chip aisle next time you're at the grocery store. However, the disappointing thing is the packaging has been greatly diminished. It is now in more of a complete Pringles knockoff can where it has like the paper the, the, the paper roll kind of twirl thing with the plastic lid. It's very like regular cylindrical, nothing special about it. And the worst part is they changed the name of the logo and now it is super, super boring and modern. It doesn't have the fucking rocket ship and the flames and the 90s wacky Cheetos logo and Chester with sunglasses. And I think he has a cigarette in his mouth and he was trying to get you to try Coke. It, it, it's not that logo anymore. Now the logo is just, it's just the Cheetos logo and the word minis. And minis is in like fucking basic aerial lowercase size 20 font and it's just boring as fuck and the can is just orange with no artwork whatsoever and it's just very modern it's very uh very uh focus tested very just washed down watered down diluted with modernity and it sucks the logo the name the branding sucks 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 however the most important thing is the snack itself and the snack is still exactly the same as it once was. It's delicious. It is fun. I highly recommend you run out to the store and try it. So I'm going to continue to refer to these as Cheetos Asteroids. They are technically now called Cheetos Minis, but they are still delicious. They are still fun to eat. And at least they still come in some kind of tubular package, uh, even though the old one was cooler because it was like wavy and, and it had like a, it had like a, like a ribbed kind of like a, like a ripple little plastic thing on it and it it, it was pl made of plastic instead of paper so it was better for the environment all the good things guys it was great but they're out there again cheetos asteroids now in the form of cheetos minis please get them wherever chips are sold and if you're in the uk i know you call them crisps but they're chips and that's it for what i've been eating this week i've just been eating cheetos asteroids my doctor says i'm probably gonna make it to 107 uh now let's move on to what i've been playing because this week i'm in a little bit, little, a little bit of a conundrum because I'm back in the groove, I'm back in the, I want to play video games, you know, I'm, I've, I moved on, I, I was, last week I was really in like, uh, I, like Disney mode, I want to be on a cruise, sailing away, or, or, earning, not gaining, but earning 30 pounds worth of food, but instead of that, I, I'm back into my grind, back into my rhythm of playing games, so I've been just grinding like a motherfucker through Gotham Knights, I really didn't think I would get through more than maybe five hours of this game, I thought this game was going to be like an impulse purchase, I'll check it out, see what the game's all about for 30 bucks, probably think, eh, it's okay, but I, it's not that great, and then move on with my life, but no, Gotham Knights has completely got me sucked in, I don't know what it is about this game, because, you know, to the defense of all the criticism this game has, has received, you know, to those who have criticized it. Yes, the game looks like an early Xbox One game from 2014 and not even like one of the better looking games from 2014. Like it's it's not a great looking game, save for like character faces. Um, the combat is a little slow and sluggish and sometimes it just doesn't feel super smooth when you're trying to like chain combos together or like running up to a character and trying to interact with an object you got to kind of stop and reorient yourself and yeah you stop and try to figure out what the hell you're doing and it's it, you know it's it's one of those annoying things where it's like you're running up to a door and then you press x to open the door but it's like why well, won't it press x okay let me take a step back let me turn around let me reorient okay now i can press x okay that was a little wonky it's a lot of that kind of stuff yeah like i said the combat can sometimes be just a little a little slow but the animations are pretty cool so it doesn't bother me as much. I, I've, I, I feel like I feel like you adapt to the combat. Like at first, the combat's a little slow, 
but the more you get into it and the more you unlock your skill trees and kind of get like really learn the combat system, which isn't too dynamic or too in depth. It is pretty basic. Um, but the more you learn it, the more you unlock, I feel like the more you'll enjoy the, the combat for sure. I, I do like it. Um, but like, you know, the game, the game is nothing to write home about in terms of a presentation standpoint or just from being like a super polished next gen showcase or anything like that. The frame rate is shit. Even on my series X, sometimes I'll just dip below 30 frames per second for like a little bit. I'll just hit like, like low twenties for no goddamn reason for just for like two seconds and then I'm back to 30 and it's like bro you should not be dropping below 30 frames per second you should be at 60 frames per second what the hell is this game's excuse there's a lot with this game that I'm just like not great but aside from all that stuff which is the more surface level stuff a little a little rough around the edges here not the prettiest looking game of all time that kind of thing aside from that the game itself is captivating I just find myself like not wanting to put the game down I think the story is pretty interesting. The characters are pretty interesting. I, I like where it's going. I really like the format and the layout of this game because I'm generally pretty exhausted by open world games, but I really like that there is a... It's it's an open world game, make, make no mistake, but there is a linear structure to it that makes the game, like, comprehensible. And I know this is probably a criticism to a lot of people where the game kind of forces you to engage with a lot of its side content, but the reason why I like it is because the game is formatted in such a way where it doesn't feel like it's like, here's a story beat, here's a story beat. Now, let loose in the open world and go fuck around, do story missions for 20 hours, and then you can come back and do more main quest stuff. It's not like that. It's not It's not like Far Cry 5 where it's like golden path, golden path, golden path, fuck you until you do everything else on the map, come back, okay, golden path. It's, it's like quite literally you're in the Belfry, which is like your main hub with all the other Gotham Knights and with and – with, um, the butler the batman butler guy whatever alfred and it's like you'll be in there you can like customize your character you can work on your cosmetics you can look at the evidence board and like try to it's like your hub it's like your chill out spot and every time you leave there you you agree to go back into the open world it kind of like sets up the open world to go back into linear storytelling format so yes it's an open world. You have a vehicle. You can run around. You can grapple hook all over buildings and swing around like Spider-Man, like a like a C-tier Spider-Man. But the game is structured in such a way where it's like it feels linear. Like the objective is clear. It's like I know this is the next thing I need to do on the main quest line. Or to get to the next main quest line, I need to go engage with this subplot or this side quest. But the side quest is kind of laid out like more mainline story content, like the Harley Quinn or the Mr. Freeze or the Penguin side content is all very much feels like main story beat. And the way it's kind of doled out to you, you can play it kind of in different orders, but that paired with the leveling system and all that kind of forces you, funnels you to play it in a more linear fashion. So I understand to a lot of people that's probably... Um, that's, that's, that's probably a bad thing. But to me, I actually like that because I like my games to have structure and to kind of tell me like, hey, this is where you need to go next. I don't really want a game to set me loose and be like, go live out your Batman fantasy, become Batman. Like, I don't, I don't want to do that. I just want to, I just want to play a cool Batman game where you kind of like, let me play around it in a loose open world if I want to, but also provide the structure for me. So if I'm just trying to keep in the pacing and in the story beats, I can do that. Boom, boom, boom. So I actually really love that about this game. I understand it's one of the massive complaints people have with it. People say the game is too grindy. I don't know where people are coming up with that criticism. I've seen so many people complain that the game will come to a, a, a halting, a screeching halt and make you grind in order to go to the next place. If you play the game kind of in the order in which it presents you the, the, the content, the progression, I, I don't feel like that's the case at all. 
if you're trying to skip all the side content that the game is clearly encouraging and funneling you towards playing, then yeah, you'll probably be underpowered if you're just trying to do all the main quests. But it doesn't, again, it doesn't feel like main quest stuff because the narrative will kind of shift into the side content and the game will kind of incentivize you in the structure of how, because you're not just always in the open world, because the main missions are generally linear and in between missions, you go back to the Belfry to kind of collect evidence, talk to your team and figure out what your next thing to do is. It feels like every time you're set loose in the open world, you're kind of being structured and suggested, not, not necessarily guided, but suggested what you should do next. And I actually really, I, I enjoy that. To be, to be honest, like, I don't know that I want every open world to be like this, but I do think this is a really unique and fun approach to open world. It's kind of a have your cake and eat it too moment, if you ask me, because I, I know for a lot of publishers, the way you got to market and sell games these days is big open world, 100 hour gameplay, so much stuff to do. That's what people want. I was talking to one of my coworkers about this game who he, he really like enjoyed it as well. He beat it months ago and he was telling me, oh yeah, I like Gotham Knights. Uh, I, I put I put 150 hours into it. I'm like, holy shit, that's way too much. And then I was asking him if he was going to play. Um, uh, we, we started talking about another game after Batman. I asked him if he was going to play it. I don't remember what game it was, but he said that his his concern was that the game wouldn't have enough content. So like, I thought about that for a second. I'm like, you're exactly like, not in a mean way, but like, you are exactly indicative of like what every video game publisher is after, which is people who want to buy a game and sink hundreds of hours into it. Buy a season pass. Buy a deluxe edition. Stay, stick with the game. Don't sell it after you're done playing it. Don't forget about it and go play something else. Stick with our game. Engage with it for hundreds of hours and be be our, be our enslaved to our product, basically. And I feel like this game kind of has a have-your-cake-and-eat-it-too moment or kind of setup to it where it is enough of an open world to where WB can market it as a big open-world Batman game. Live out your Batman fantasy or whatever the fuck it is they like to say in these games. But at the same time, for players like me that prefer something a little more concise and pared back and structured and linear, it also plays kind of like that. So I feel like it kind of caters to both audiences, allows WB to market it as they want, while also making the game attractive and fun. I think the only reason this game has kept my attention as long as it has is because of that approach to the structure and because of that pretty fun storytelling and, and good character development cutscenes. I I'm really enjoying the game. So I don't know. That's Gotham Knights, man. I just, I continue to think this game's really good. I'm pretty far into it. I think I'm probably about 80% through the main quest, according to the guy they took a peek at earlier in the week. So I'll probably wrap that up by Saturday. And the, this is where I come into my dilemma, which is that Hi-Fi Rush, I put an hour and a half into it when it first came out because I was really curious about this new shadow-dropped Xbox game I want to play and see what it was all about. I only got to play it for an hour and a half because then I had to go on my cruise, and then when I came back, I was distracted, and then I went back to Gotham Knights. And so I want to play Hi-Fi Rush next. In fact, that is the game I'm going to play next because I really loved the little bit I did play, and I know I want to see this game through the end, and it's the next game I want to really dive into. But the problem is... The Hogwarts Legacy hype right now has got me excited. I want to play Hogwarts Legacy. So I'm trying to be disciplined. I'm going to finish up Gotham Knights because I'm enjoying it so much. I'm going to move on to Hi-Fi Rush and finish playing through that and take my time with it. And then I'm going to play Hogwarts Legacy. The problem is I just have so little freaking time to game as much as I'd like to that I just feel like it's going to put me in a position where by the time I'm finally playing Hogwarts Legacy, I'm going to be so over it because Atomic Hearts is out and I'm trying to play that and it's, it's tough. It's tough for us gamers. It's tough for us Xbox Game Pass subscribers. There's just so much shit coming out right now. I can't keep up with it all, guys. And that's, 
it's not only what I've been playing, but it's what I've been stressing, guys. It's Hogwarts Legacy, it's Hi-Fi Rush, it's Atomic Heart. I just, too many games, not enough time, you know what I mean, gamers? Anyway, so that's that's really it for what I've been playing. That's my dilemma I'm facing right now. Great dilemma to have. Lots of great gaming going on right now, so I'm looking forward to wrapping up Gotham Knights. Going to jump into Hi-Fi Rush, and hopefully, if I can just manage to find the time, I will uh, be playing Hogwarts Legacy probably as soon as next week. But as it stands right now, I gotta wrap it up with Gotham Knights. That's that's the game that's calling to me, and I wanna I wanna thoroughly enjoy it. I don't wanna rush through it. I just wanna enjoy the remaining twenty percent or so I have left with this game before I hang it up. So that's it for what I've been playing. You guys, now it's time for the actual proper news. It's been a while since we've had the show go on this long without getting to the proper news. So <laughs> let's take a quick break, jump right into that, and then uh, yeah, talk about some Gears of War six. Okay, let's jump right into it, because we actually have a decent amount of news here as well, and we're already an hour in. So, starting with Gear 6, the one I'm most excited to talk about, other than our Apex Legends story as well. From VGC, the Coalition, Gears of War developer The Coalition, has reportedly shifted its full attention to the next entry in the Gears of War series after two other games in development at the studio were cancelled. During his game's Game Mess Morning Show on Thursday, Giant Bob reporter Jeff Grubb claimed that Xbox's Canadian studio is now full steam ahead on Gear 6. The Coalition said in May of 2021 that it was preparing to transition to next-gen development using Unreal Engine 5. Shortly afterwards, a LinkedIn profile of one of the studio's level designers claimed that they had been working on a brand new IP. Grubb claimed that the Coalition was working on two now-canceled projects in addition to carrying out support work for Halo Infinite and working with Epic on the Matrix Awakens Unreal Engine 5 tech demo, which came out last year and was super cool. They have canceled the smaller projects and as well as the other projects. So there are now two games canceled, the smaller one and the other new IP. That was all reflected in the layoffs that happened at Microsoft, which did hit the coalition a little bit. The studio is now going to move on fully to Gear 6. It says now that it is likely moved on to uh, Gear 6 in full over the course of the last year, but definitely that will be their next game. According to Microsoft, Gears of War sold over 22 million units across, uh, and grossed $1 billion uh, where the company, when the company acquired the franchise from Epic Games in 2014. Since buying the IP, Xbox has released two mainline series entries from the uh, in the form of 2016's Gears of War 4 and 2019's Gears 5, both of which were developed by the Coalition, as well as Gears of War Ultimate Edition the and the turn-based tactics, spin-off Gears tactics. I don't know what it is about this news that makes me really just want to stop everything and go play Gears of War again for some reason, especially Gears 4 and 5. I, I, I love the Coalition. I, I feel like this, this studio just doesn't get enough attention and praise, and I feel like a lot of that is because their biggest time to shine was during the Xbox One generation, where Xbox had the least amount of attention they ever got. And um, and now that the Xbox Series S and X are kind of a lot spicier and people are more interested in them, the problem is that the Coalition is kind of like not as not as active because... Uh, you know they're just uh, they're they're hard at work on whatever the hell they've been hard at work on, and now we know <laughs> that is in the form of two now canceled games, and uh, they're starting development or going full steam ahead rather on Gear Six. But um, I really love the Coalition. I think these guys are are such a great team. It's, it's so fun to compare them sometimes to. It's so fun to compare the Coalition to the uh, to three four three because even though I love three four three, the the thing with Halo is it's like. There's a lot of things I love about Bungie's Halo, and there's a lot of things I love about 343's Halo. But it's sometimes hard to decide which one I like more. 
Um, and I like them both for such different reasons. That's why my favorite Halo games are 3 and 5, what I believe are the best Bungie Halo game and the best 343 Halo game. Whereas with the Coalition, and this might be a hot take, but I don't care. This is my this is my opinion. Uh, with the Coalition, I, I think they're just significantly better at Gears of War than, than Epic was. I think Gears 4 and 5 are much better games than Gears 1, 2, and 3. Yeah, just I mean like straight up. I think the games are I think the games are way more engaging and fun. Um I, I, I like the old cast a lot for sure, but I just I really find this this new cast and this new direction the series has taken to be just really compelling and I, I love Gears of War under, under the coalition for sure. I think they they maybe go from like kind of being whatever on Gears of War to really appreciating the series. So I don't know. I, I'm excited that to, I'm excited to know they are finally full steam ahead on Gear Six because man, this year it will have been God. I, I cannot believe we're saying this. Oh my God! This September will have been four years since Gears of War or Gears Five came out. So. We are three and a, right now we are three and a half years removed from when Gears from when Gears Five came out, which is also just reminds me to say, <laughs> I hate to say it, but this is another example of just the incompetency of Microsoft's ability to manage their studios. This is not a, a swing against the coalition at all. This is a swing against Xbox's leadership. In, in terms of managing this portfolio of studios, because how the hell has the coalition gone on for three and a half years? We haven't seen a single gameplay trailer, heard a murmuring of anything, any sort of whatnot they're working on. And now the report comes out that they've canceled two projects and they're just kind of going into full swing development on gear six, which means gear six probably isn't coming out until like maybe 2025 at the earliest. So, that I mean, that's not that's not great. <laughs> now, to be fair, Gears Five had an expansion, Hive Busters, which came out in the end of 2020, and they did uh, a team somewhere at the Coalition helped work on Gears Tactics, although that game wasn't developed by Gears by uh, by Coalition. So it's not like they've done nothing, and we know they've been working with Unreal Engine Five and trying to play with that technology, and they helped with the Matrix Awakens demo, and so we know what they've been working on. We know what kind of projects they've been hard at work on, but they are now three and a half years removed from their last proper game release, and they're probably at least two years away from a new game coming out, and that is, that's a generous two years, so... So, I mean, fuck, man. Gears 5 is going to be like almost six years old by the time they get another game out the door. And that's that's insane. We're going to go like six years from Gears 5 to Gears 6. I just think that's, that is terrible management. I don't, I don't even know how to put that lightly. Like, I'm sad that we're not going to get these new IP from the Coalition. I am curious to see what else this team can do because I think they're insanely talented. Um, but at the, at the same time, Gears 5 ends on such a cliffhanger and it just... It ends at such a moment that's like, yeah, so what you do here is you jump right into Gears 6. That's what you fucking do. It would be like if if Halo 2 ended and Bungie said, nay, we're going to go make Destiny. We're going to go make a, yeah, we're going to go make Destiny and then we're going to um, go to Denny's and eat a Grand Slam for like three years and then we'll come back and make Halo 3. Calm down. Might, might make Halo Reach first. I don't know. Maybe. It's like, you, you can't fucking do that. Halo 2 is one of those games that, that necessitated an immediate follow-up, and that's what we got with 
it took three years and we got Halo 3. So I don't understand how you, you know, without spoiling it, I don't understand how you make a game like Gears 5 and then you just fucking leave it at that and then maybe in six years we'll have Gears 6. Like that's not, that's not good time management. That's not a good roadmap. It shows that they kind of have no, I hate to say it, but it shows that they have no plan for Gears of War. They clearly didn't know where to go next. And you remember at the time, shortly, like very shortly after Gears 5 came out, uh, Rod Ferguson left the coalition. He was the studio head. He was kind of the heart and soul of the team in a lot of ways. And he left to go work at Blizzard. So ironically, he's going to basically end up back at Xbox in some form or fashion uh, once they acquire Activision Blizzard. But he left the coalition to go work on Diablo. He's working on Diablo 4 right now. And so it's it's just uh you wonder if maybe he was he had a lot to do with kind of the direction the studio was headed in and with him gone kind of they just started meandering and doing some other things um you wonder if it's upper xbox management's fault or or a combination of the two things or what the hell happened but the fact that halo or the uh, sorry the fact that after gears 5 the the reaction from the coalition the the next step wasn't go straight into gear six is mind boggling. Now, listen, I, I don't mean to pigeonhole them to this forever. I want developers to have creative freedom and autonomy. Like I, I have no problem if after gear six, you know, they kind of wrap up this new plot with these new characters and then they uh, say, Hey, we're going to take a break from gears of war and we're going to go work on some new IP. I love that. That's great. That's a great idea. You should do that. But the, the reality we should be living in is that right after Gears 5, they should have gotten to work, gotten to work on Gears 6. And Gears 6 should be a game that is coming out this year at the latest next year. That That's where we should be right now with Gears of War. But we're not because, again, bad management. So um, I, And I don't want to make this whole conversation so negative. It's just you can't, you can't not talk about the elephant in the room. Gears of War is a really important franchise to Xbox. And it does feel like they are kind of just ghosting it. And I understand a lot of the Xbox fans out there are going to say, oh, but Jesse, uh, hey, that's the that's the beauty of it is Xbox is finally in a position where they don't have to be so reliant on Gears of War and Halo because, you know, I, that's always been like their, their lean-on kind of franchise. But now because we have Starfield and because we have, you know, all the things Obsidian does and all these other teams, you know, we got all these other games in development. We, it doesn't always have to be about Halo Gears, Halo Gears. Yeah, that's great. But don't forget, don't lose sight of the fact that the Coalition is a team that was founded to shepherd the Gears of War franchise. They're named after the Gears of War franchise. They are, they are, they exist to continue that story. So if you are dead center in the middle of a story, you don't just drop it. You don't fucking take a hiatus on Star Wars after after Empire Strikes Back. You get to work and you fucking make Return of the Jedi. And that's that's just kind of like. I, not even like necessarily like my beef or my frustration. It's it's just my like immense confusion with what the coalition has been up to these past few years. So I don't know, man. I'm super excited that they're getting to work on Gear Six. I hope after Gear Six ships, you know, the game ends in a place where the coalition can go explore new avenues and work on some new projects. And I hope they come up with some awesome new IP. And you know, we just we just got Hi-Fi Rush, an amazing example of what happens when you let a team go nuts and do something different and just give them free reign because sometimes great shit can come from that. And obviously, a great way to have a healthy and productive game studio is to give them the creative freedom to get to do new new things, create new ideas, whatever. So I encourage it. I support it. I just feel like this was a very specific instance where it was poorly executed. But nonetheless, 
I'm just super hyped because I want to figure out what happens after Gears 5 because that game ends on a hell of a cliffhanger. And I want to know, you know, there's, uh, again, I'm not going to spoil it, but there's a choice the player makes at the end of the game. It is, it is weird. It's the first time in a Gears game where there is a player choice that greatly impacts the narrative of the game. And depending on which decision they, they choose to make canon will have so many effects on what the next Gears game is even about or what it even looks like. So I'm just so curious to see that because, I don't know, it's not every day you see you see teams kind of like cop out and be like, eh, bye. <laughs> but I don't know. It's, it's, just, it's just weird to me that this is kind of how things went. But nonetheless, it is exciting to have an update from the Coalition. To see them in the news again, honestly, excites me because I feel like the past two years, all we talk about is everything is fucked up with Halo, Xbox is buying these guys, these guys, and these guys, and all the other teams are kind of fucking around and screwing things up and being mismanaged while in the corner, Obsidian is kind of like breaking their back, holding the entire Xbox brand up on their shoulders with great games at a consistent clip. And so to see the coalition kind of come back into the news cycle and for us to get some kind of clarification on what where Gears is, is actually to me actually makes this more of a positive story, even though there is a negative connotation to it. And, you know, at the center of this, there is a story about people who were laid off from this company and projects that were canceled. And that is a terrible story, a sad situation, a sad reality. But um, in an attempt to try and spin it positively and not sound so redundant about my feelings towards corporations and things going on in the world, let me just say, I'm really excited to see that the Coalition is back to work on Gears of War, and I look forward to seeing Gears 6 when it comes out in 2020,000, whatever the hell it is. But yeah, the other news story I'm really excited to talk about this week is uh, all about Titanfall and Epic, uh, Epic, Epic Legends, Apex Legends, who gives a shit? It's the same thing, basically. We had some disappointing Titanfall news last week with a report that a new Titanfall single-player game had been canceled, but now we have an update on that. Jeff Grubb rolling straight ahead with some more scoops uh, and some news coming directly out of Respawn Entertainment that I think is really exciting. At least for me, I'm really excited. I hope you guys are as well, so I'll be curious to see how you guys in particular respond to this story. But uh, yeah, from VGC... The unannounced Titanfall game that's said to have been canceled by EA this past week was reportedly being planned as a single-player experience for Apex Legends. That's according to Giant Bob reporter Jeff Grubb, who shared supposed details on the canned game project during a live stream on Thursday last week. Following Bloomberg's earlier reports that the team of about 50 people had been working on Titanfall Legends at Respawn. So the game was apparently called, or the project was called, Titanfall Legends, which kind of obviously connects the two a little closer. Uh, it, the story continues, EA, the EA studio announced in July 2021 that they are developing a new single-player adventure game set in a unique universe with designer Muhammad Alavi, who is attached to the project before he departed the studio last year. According to Jeff Grubb, the unannounced project was Respawn's attempt at getting a Titanfall-feeling project inside the hugely popular free-to-play spin-off Apex Legends. Quote, Titanfall Legends was not Titanfall 3 because a lot of people, in a lot of people's minds, I think Titanfall 3 was going to be a new standalone game with single-player campaign and multiplayer. And that could, and they could just never do that again after Apex Legends changed the calculus on all those things. In two weeks from now, Apex Legends is going to get a team deathmatch mode. More on that later. And that was always part of the plan to turn Apex Legends into a platform where you can get all those kinds of shooter experiences in one place to expand the Apex Legends slash Titanfall world. Quote, Titanfall Legends was always supposed to slot in as part of that Titanfall Legends would have been a single-player campaign inside the Apex Legends platform in the same way that Call of Duty works where you get Modern Warfare 2 and Warzone in the same platform right there as well. According to Grubb, the thinking behind the design was that the new campaign was to encourage people to use the special abilities such as wall running, 
not um, not play like Call of Duty. Sorry, let me say that again. According to Grub, the thinking behind the design for, of the new campaign was to encourage people to use special abilities like wall running and not play it like Call of Duty. The campaign would have included characters from Apex Legends and also BT, a Titan companion featured in Titanfall 2's stories. story. Players would play as Apex Legends character Blisk and navigate the world with an upgrade BT an upgraded BT, it is claimed. They were going to have the Legends show up and give you special powers throughout the game so they could tie to Apex Legends in a real strong way. The thinking there was that more players have played Apex Legends than have ever even heard of Titanfall, so they were really going to lean into that. They wanted to make the game more active, where you used your abilities more often. The strap line I heard was, quote, we want to make John Wick meets Tony Hawk. Sounds amazing. They were also super inspired by Doom Eternal, where you're always aggressive and always getting great stuff, getting stuff, getting things to play with. He added, and this is the final part, in Titanfall Legends, you would discover that Rampart, one of the characters from Apex Legends, has discovered the chassis of BT, brought BT back to life, and BT is really special, a really special Titan now, and interacted with something called the Lost Ark, which was one thing in the universe that could track down all these parts, and whoever gets them and then becomes super powerful. So that sounds like basically the best thing we could have hoped for in a world where we want a Titanfall 3 and are not going to get a Titanfall 3. I know some people that might seem sacrilege to Apex Legends the hell out of Titanfall 3, uh, quote-unquote, but... This is uh, this is way better than, in my opinion, than just no Titanfall three at all. Especially because I actually like Apex Legends a lot. I, I I am okay with trying to blur the line between these two things more and more. It, it's just it's odd because Titanfall was such a serious game in terms of its visuals and tone, um, whereas Apex Legends has just become more and more goofy, live servicey. You know, as it has become over these past few years. So. It would be difficult to blend these two things together, even though they technically take place in the same world. Although, I I don't know, I'd rather see them try to make it work than just never give us another Titanfall again, if that makes sense. But continuing on with the second story from in regards to this whole Titanfall Apex Legends situation, VGC reports that circling back a little bit to the multiplayer deathmatch style gameplay in Apex Legends, it is true. Respawn will introduce Team Deathmatch in Apex Legends Season 16, Revelry, when it launches on February 14th. Oh my god, they're on Season 16. I don't think I've played Apex Legends since Season 4 or 5. But, uh, quote, the most requested limited time mode is finally being added to Apex Legends as part of a wider plan to make the uh, four-year-old game more accessible to newcomers. I did not know this game mode was ever even in the game. Later in the season, Respawn will add new persistent limited time modes uh, called mixtapes, which will offer rotating mix of some of the most popular community game types. Studios has also confirmed that they are sunsetting the arenas mode. The 3v3 inter- mode introduced as a permanent feature back in uh, May of 2021 with Season 9. Team Deathmatch is a 6v6 kill-based fast respawn mode which teams are required to get 30 kills to win a round and win two rounds to win the game. Players choose uh, to change their legend and loadout each time they die, and random airdrops throughout the matches provide access to other weapons and items. At the launch of Revelry, Team Deathmatch will be playable on the Party Crasher, Habits 4, and Skulltown maps. I am really looking forward to this. I didn't know Apex Legends ever even had a Team Deathmatch, or if it did, I forgot. I'm gonna download Team. Uh, I'm gonna download Apex Legends for the first time in a couple years and get into this. I really like Apex Legends, but um, I just I don't know. I, I can't get that into battle royale games. They just they they make me stress out too much. I, it's just not fun to me. You know, turning off my brain and playing something low stakes like Call of Duty or Halo is fun. 
But having like really focus and stress out over like, oh my God, I'm 20 minutes into this match. I hope I don't die one time yet removed from the whole thing. That That's just too much for me. I can't do it. Where to even start? This is... um. I don't want to be doom and gloom about this because I feel like I have a really realistic understanding and in acceptance when it comes to the Apex Legends Titanfall situation. I adored it, Titanfall. I, it, it was the thing that pushed me over the edge and just made me buy my Xbox One a, as close to launch as I did. I loved the game from the moment I played it and I was helplessly addicted to it. I loved Titanfall 2. I pre-ordered the game. I played the hell out of the campaign so fast, so loved it so dearly. Um, and really enjoy the, the, the multiplayer, although I didn't play it nearly as much as I did the first game. And then Apex Legends came out, came out and I, I actually really like Apex Legends. I'll, I'll still say it's my favorite Battle Royale, even though I'm not a huge fan of the genre. I really like Apex Legends. I've had a really good time playing it when I have played it. I've probably put at least 60 hours into it, so I've played a decent amount of it. But, you know, I'm like I'm like all the other Titanfall fans out there. I know there's a lot of you listening to the show. I, I want Titanfall 3. I miss Titanfall. I, I so desperately want to see that series continue. You know, back in those Titanfall 1 and 2 days where Call of Duty was too busy with Black Ops 3 and Infinite Warfare and all that shit. I, I mean, I, I thought it was such a definitive statement that Titanfall was the the dethroner, the successor to, to Call of Duty. Obviously, Call of Duty was a way more successful IP and franchise. But in my opinion, as far as a game that feels like Call of Duty that is amazingly addicting and fun to play, for my money... Titanfall was a way better game to play during those years than than Call of Duty was. And so, I don't know, it just makes me sad because I I really wish we could have continued on with a future where we just got more and more Titanfall. But again, as we said earlier in the show, the market speaks. And in this case, the market spoke and said, we don't really give a shit about Titanfall. I know, I know, I know the age old. Well, EA did it no favors by launching it in between Battlefield 1 and, and Call of Duty Infinite Warfare. And true, I know they fucked up with Titanfall 2, but... Ultimately, I feel like this game, it's a combination of that paired with the first one wasn't on PlayStation, paired with, honestly, it was just probably a time and place kind of thing, but it is what it is. I've accepted that Apex Legends is the game. It's the thing that blew up. If you're EA, if you're Respawn, you're you're stupid to not put all your eggs in the Apex Legends basket because that's where... That's where all the player base is, and you just you just got to go where the money is. I understand. That's, how, that's what running a business is like. But to know that they were going to try and expand the platform of Apex Legends and have the Battle Royale just be one component of it while they had a campaign they could add into it, they have a deathmatch they could add into it, and they could just continue to make it all these different things, kind of like how Call of Duty is, Warzone and multiplayer and zombies and campaign and all these things in one place, um, to know that apex legends could have been that to me is really exciting and really disappointing because it sounds like they're still going to go for that we're just not getting our camp our campaign which makes me just really sad because i want that i want that campaign so bad i want to see bt again in a new campaign i want to play that amazing titanfall style gameplay loop that i experienced in titanfall 2's campaign I want to I want to have that again. I want more of that. So just I don't know. It's so so disappointing, but at the same time, it's so exciting that we are in some way getting that. And it seems like they're going to try to go down this ro- road of having a traditional multiplayer suite available in Apex Legends with starting with this uh team deathmatch mode uh that comes out <laughs> honestly like next week. So I got to download Apex Legends. I got to get into this. I got to give this a try because this sounds like it's right up my alley. And hopefully, you know, if I'm lucky, this sucks me right back in. I guess this can be the game 
to replace the the hole in my heart where Crossfire X will now be. Let's fucking do it, Apex Legends. So I don't know. Personally, I'm really looking forward to this. I, I understand we could be all doom and gloom about it and say, oh, Apex Legends doesn't make sense with Titanfall. I know they're supposed to be the same universe, but they don't really look the same. They don't really, you know, one's more serious than the other. I don't care, man. I would have taken it. I would have fucking taken it. And as long as as long as they continue to try, because it seems obvious that Respawn Entertainment sees how special Titanfall was and that they want to take what was special about that game and give it new life somehow in Apex Legends. It seems that they have a real desire to do that. And so it kind of, even though we don't have everything we want right now with Titan, with a with a new Titanfall game, it, it shows me, it encourages me to, to think that Respawn's going to continue to look for ways to resurrect in some form or fashion that ape that that Titanfall experience where they can and however they can and you know not to say that it's ever going to be you know the Titanfall 3 we've all been waiting for I, I do think it is better than nothing at all so I don't know maybe I'll eat those words who knows but I remain optimistic for the future of Apex Legends as we continue to get closer and closer to the um to the Titanfall 3 that never was, but always should have been. All right, next up, let's talk about Ubisoft Plus. I have so... I completely forgot this existed until Jez Corden of Windows Central had a whole expose thing on it. And so uh, let's let's dig into some of what he said there. Announced last year, Ubisoft Plus is similar to EA Play and Xbox Game Pass in that it offers a library of content for a relatively low monthly fee. 15 bucks a month will get you access to over 100 Ubisoft titles on PC. In addition to a pool of playable games on the cloud, Ubisoft Plus is... More similar to Xbox Game Pass in that it offers upcoming Ubisoft games on the day they come out on PC, as opposed to EA Play's vault-like library of older content. When Ubisoft Plus finally comes to Xbox, it's unclear whether or not it will offer the same breadth of content that it offers on PC, or whether or not it will offer a smaller library of titles like Ubisoft's classics, the classic tier on PlayStation. In any case, this past weekend, Jez Corden from Windows Central uncovered another, another piece of evidence that Ubisoft Plus could be imminent for Xbox. Recently, the Xbox OS was updated to icon with the iconography support change uh, where Ubisoft Plus games were added on. So typically games on Xbox often signify the features. You, you know what I'm talking about, like where you have a Game Pass game downloaded and so the icon on your console says Game Pass in the corner or EA Play in the corner. So they updated the OS to where the Ubisoft Plus logo is in the corner. So I think that tells you everything you really need to know. Uh, the Ubisoft Plus icons... We're in there within the past month or so, so it could be some kind of imminent announcement or release for this feature and the service. It remains to be seen whether or not the games will be um, the same games will be on the console version versus the PC version. But there are some games that are omitted, you know, from this list of games like Ghost Recon, Wildlands, Rainbow Six Siege, etc. So I don't know. Only time will tell. But I I'm excited to see. You know, or we're excited to see. Is Ubisoft Plus going to come? My thing is, I, I know some people are like, they should lump Ubisoft Plus into Game Pass the way they did EA Plus or EA Play. There's only so much you can do, man. For, for 10, 15 bucks a month with Game Pass, there's only so much value you can throw in there before it's like, okay, some, something's wrong and you get upset that they're not charging you more money. So I don't know, man. I, I kind of feel like um, I, I kind of feel like we're at this point now where if this feature comes into Game Pass, Game Pass's price has to go up imminently otherwise this is going to be offered supplemental or, or in addition to game pass i think the problem is when you have something like game pass including ea play you run this risk of like ubisoft being upset with xbox because it's like 
hey, your consumers are way less likely to get on board with our subscription service when you have a competing subscription service that can have more games in it. In addition to that, your subscription service also includes another competitor's subscription service. So it's almost like unreasonable, unfair, and silly for Ubisoft to try and get on Xbox when they're looking at the opportunity and saying, well, why would someone choose Ubisoft Plus over Game Pass, especially when Game Pass comes with EA Play? And yeah, you hope they have both subscription services, but you know, you're creating a sense of competition for subscription services on the Xbox ecosystem by putting more of these features on there. And so it just feels like maybe, it just feels like maybe in order to make this make sense, you'd got to have this service included in Game Pass Ultimate also the way you do with EA Play. Although that differentiating factor of Ubisoft Plus gets day and date games, EA Play is just vaulted cat uh, games. Usually the games have to be about at least a half a year old before it gets added into EA Play. So there is that to compare as well. Gives Ubisoft Plus that extra level of sheen, that extra allure. So maybe that is something that they're thinking can kind of help differentiate, set it apart from the competition and make it make sense for Xbox. But at the same time, I just don't see really how it... I don't know. I just If you're Ubisoft and you're trying to get this feature, this service on Xbox, I, I feel like you're probably going to be upset with Game Pass with Xbox if they're not looking for a way to get your service in there as well, but they did do the same for the competitor. And so uh, I'll be curious to know how this plays out, but honestly, we've heard so little about this service. I, I'm almost just like, yeah, whatever, another subscription service. I don't care. All right, we have one more story technically, although I don't have much to say on this, so we'll kind of keep it brief. But uh, VGC reports that VLAN Studios has announced plans to close its live service action game, Knockout City, in June this year. So another game-ending service. The cross-platform dodgeball game was released in 2021 under the EA original publishing label before VLAN, uh, or from VLAN, uh, which also developed Mario Kart Live Home Circuit, the mixed reality, virtual reality, Switch game thing. Um, but they took over publishing duties for the game last year, from EA and kind of did it all on their own. So the game came out February 28th, or sorry, on February 28th, season nine of Knockout City will kick off with the release of the game's final planned update. All real money transactions will be removed from the game on that day and will last for 12 weeks until the game's servers are shut down on June 6th. Following the shutdown, the studio is planning to release a standalone player-hosted version of the game for PC so that players can continue to play the game on their own servers via PC. So at least the game's not going to be lost to time forever, which is really nice in a world where uh, Crossfire X is just going to be gone. At least Knockout City fans will be able to play a game. Despite over 12 million players and billions of KOs around the globe, there are several aspects in the game that need major disruption or or to do better uh, and to attract and retain enough players to make the game sustainable, said uh, the team in a blog post talking about the closure. Since we're a small indie studio, it's simple to it's simply impossible for us to make those kinds of systemic changes to a live game while continuing to support it. So it became clear to us that we need to take a step back and pave the way for VLAN to do what we do best by innovating. Now we can take everything we learned, everything we succeeded, everything we need improvement, and work on exploring new possible experiences for Knockout City and other games and products we are very excited about working on. While we can't promise Knockout City will be back, we can promise to you that we'll continue to see new innovative games from VLAN Studios, and we will surprise and delight players around the world. Also, keep in mind, guys, that last week, another game of this ilk, Iron Galaxies developed a Rumbleverse Battle Royale game, free-to-play game. Also announced it was shutting, and I think that game's only been out for about a year. 
I don't know. I don't have much to say about this because I just feel like we keep seeing this story again and again and again where these live service games are just not tenable. They require massive, massive pools of players. They require massive pools of players in order to stay sustainable and become profitable. And it's just there's only so many people and so much time and so much money, and it makes the competition super fierce. When you're up against Fortnite and Warzone and Apex Legends... You're kind of, you know, you're kind of like with what was the same without a paddle, you know, on this one. It's just like, I don't know. I just, you see all these teams, they want their battle royale. They want their live service multiplayer game. And it's crazy that games like uh, Fall Guys continue to be able to succeed and thrive when it's just like you, you see these games come out. And it's not, it's no shade against them. I played a little bit of Knockout City. It's kind of fun. That's uh, not my thing. It was a little too hard for me because I suck, but it's, it's a fun concept. It's a fun game. And, um, it's just, it's not that the game is bad. It's just that, do you think that this game can sustain itself in a world with this fierce competition where there's always something new trying to attract everybody and the big players have like the majority of the market kind of by the balls. And I think at some point these, these indies, these publishers need to stop trying to chase the live service, free to play game platform, battle royale thing, and just try to make good games. I understand there's a potential cash cow. Everyone wants to be the next big epic. Everyone wants like the like the company epic. Everyone wants to go from making successful one and done video games and sequels and whatever to creating a platform that is just a dominating entertainment force to be reckoned with like like Fortnite. But most people who will attempt that will fail. And at the end of the day, it's like I feel like we're we're just kind of like spinning our, our gears and just kind of, I don't know, puttering out here by just consistently trying and trying and trying to chase this Fortnite trend when what we should be doing is coming up with innovative, unique, exciting, fresh ideas. And again, that's not to say, especially like Knockout City, Knockout City was a fresh idea. It was unique. It was a fun twist. It was a cool game. But it's just like, do, do you really want to just try to chase the Fall Guys Fortnite trend or do you want to... Do you want to create, I don't know, do you want to create something different? And um, I don't know, maybe it's being a little hypocritical, you know, as someone who loves traditional, typical multiplayer first-person shooters, you know, a genre which seems to be endlessly supportable through just decades and decades now of these kinds of games existing. But it just, it's hard to see these kinds of games come out and think anything other than trend chasing. So it just comes as no surprise when inevitably these games fail and it's like, yeah, man, just make a cool new game. Don't don't worry about what the other guys are doing. Just make something cool that comes from the heart. And if it's a good game, it will stand out. And chances are it will do it will do better in the sense that it might not make as much money as Fortnite, but it has a better chance of being its own success without being a flop or a flash in the pan, which is what a lot of these games end up being. And I don't know. I just not that developers need my advice or my two cents, but I don't know. I just I wish that kind of mentality was adopted a little more right now in the game space. And you worry because you look at bigger companies like Ubisoft that are like so gung-ho on this trend that it's like, you wonder, is is Ubisoft going to trend chase themselves out of existence because they're just so obsessed with this need to have an Apex Legends, need to have a Warzone? And I worry that they might, you know, there are going to be winners and losers as a result of, of this, of this, uh, of this movement. And boy, wouldn't it suck? Wouldn't it just catastrophically suck to lose one of the longest running, most reputable, most notable game publishers of all time because they're too busy trying to make a Fortnite 
when they should have been making Splinter Cell, you know? Not to make this about Ubisoft, but it's just, I just don't see how you're looking around the room and not thinking anything other than, we gotta stop chasing this trend. We gotta stop. I don't know. It's like, it's kind of like how I think about, like, like, I don't buy lottery tickets. I've actually never purchased a lottery ticket or scratch off in my entire life. I have had scratch offs because, you know, like, I, I, like, I had a manager at a job long ago where every year for Christmas, what she would do is buy everyone in the office a scratch off ticket. And I think actually every time I've ever had a scratch off, it's that someone at work has bought everyone in the office a scratch off ticket as a, uh, as like a Christmas gift or something, kind of a weird thing. But nonetheless, it's happened enough times that it's a trend. But um, I, I, I see the appeal of scratch off tickets, of buying lottery tickets. It's a couple bucks. You know, you're not going to miss a couple bucks. And yeah, the chances are you're not going to win. But, you know, why not throw down a couple bucks? And it's exciting. It's fun because you can at least fantasize about like, what if I won? And the the thing is, I feel like that's kind of how publishers and developer developers are navigating the games industry these days where it's like, yeah, I probably won't end up making a Minecraft or or uh, or Fall Guys. But um, I don't know, like it, what if? And it's like they have like an addiction to lottery tickets and scratch offs at this point where these games as a service, free to play type games are this infectious plague on the industry. And everyone is trying to chase the easy money they want. They want to scratch off the million dollar lottery ticket instead of just doing the fucking hard work, going the longer but more satisfying traditional route of just saying, no, let's come up with a really cool, unique video game, build that video game, try to sell that video game to people. You know, like just make a cool game. It can be multiplayer, it can be single player, it can be co-op. Who gives a shit? Maybe it's a story game, maybe it's not. Who who knows? Just make a fun game. Just make something unique that comes from the heart. Stop trying to stop trying to do the the cheat code, the, the fast way to success. Stop stop being that guy who thinks you're an entrepreneur because because you're like some self-made guy who has a really nice looking headshot on your uh, Twitter or Instagram bio. Like just, just be a normal fucking person, build something. Anyway, that's my Ted talk on why other publishers and developers should seek me for advice on how to proceed in game development. Anyway, guys, we only have a one last wrap up story and it's just new games coming to game pass. So from Xbox wire, we got a couple games coming and going from the service this week. Some new ones were announced. So let's talk about the coming soon real quick. We got Madden NFL 23 coming to console and PC via EA Play on February 9th. So when you're listening to the show, it's already out. Also on February 9th, SD Gundam Battle Alliance comes to cloud console and PC. Thank God I didn't buy this game. I had a feeling this was going to come to Game Pass, and it came sooner than I thought it would. Kind of annoying because I don't have time to play this right now, but I really want to play this game. It looks really fun. So I think I played the demo for a little bit and enjoyed it. So... Um, hopefully I get to get to this game before it leaves Game Pass, but yeah, that's coming also this week. Then Mount and Blade Banner Lord comes to cloud console and PC on February 14th. On February 15th, we get City Skyline remastered for cloud and Xbox. And then on February 16th, a really good one, Shadow Warrior 3 Definitive Edition on cloud console and PC. You might remember this game launched into, I think, PS Plus last year when it came out. So now Xbox is finally getting it following the first two entries in the Shadow Warrior series, which were previously on Game Pass. Shadow Warrior developed by, uh, what's it, is it Flying, not, yeah, is it Flying Wild Hog? Yeah, the guys that made uh, Evil West, which just came out a few months ago. I love that game. 
Uh, but yeah, and then on February 21st, the game I'm most looking forward to this whole year, pretty much, Atomic Heart launches day one Game Pass on cloud console and PC. And also, as a side note, Wild Hearts, the upcoming uh, EA game, the Musou EA Monster Hunter game from uh, from the guys that make, what do they fucking call it? I don't know why my mind's blanking. But, uh, but uh, the game is getting an EA Play Early Access trial on February 13th. So Ultimate Game Pass Ultimate and EA Play. Uh, subscribers will be able to try that early access trial on the 13th, which is uh, next Monday. And then leaving Game Pass, we do have a handful of games leaving Game Pass, the second of which is very near and dear to me. But on February 15th, next week, next Thursday, next Friday, what is that? Next Wednesday, the following games will be leaving Game Pass. Besiege, Game Preview, Cloud Console and PC. Crossfire X, Cloud and Console. That means the the campaign. The campaign, one of the two campaigns was on Game Pass. The game is otherwise a free-to-play multiplayer game. So you can still play the game until May 18th, but uh, the, the game is leaving Game Pass next week. So if you want to play the campaign without buying it, try it out this weekend. Infernax is leaving Cloud Console and PC on the 15th, as well as Recompile, Skull the Hero Slayer, and the last kids on Earth, all leaving Cloud Console and PC on February 15th. So download them, play them now, play them this weekend before it's too late, you scallywags. With that said, guys, it's time to move into the important enough news. Stories important enough to make the podcast, but not important enough to warrant what uh, a full-blown discussion all on their own. So let's go through these real fast. VGC reports. I told you we get back to this. The new game from Bioshock creator Ken Levine is scheduled to release within the next couple of years. Uh, Judas, it is earning it is in its in its earning results this past week. Publisher Take Two said that they plan to release the game between now and the end of 2025 fiscal year, which runs through March 31st, 2025. So basically, within the next two years, Judas is one of the 87 games Take Two is planning to release during the window of time, 38 of which are mobile games. So don't get too excited, although delays are always possible. Next up, Warner Bros. says that. Uh, or VGC reports that Warner Bros. Hogwarts Legacy has broken the record for most concurrent views on Twitch for a single-player game. On the game's first day of available via early access, so not even proper release, just people who have the early access for the game, the Avalanche software-developed RPG peaked at 1.3 million concurrent viewers, beating out the 1.1 million record achieved by Cyberpunk 2077 back in 2020. According to Jinx.tv, only online titles like Valorant, League of Legends, and Fortnite have attained more views for a single game in history. So that is insanely impressive. Next up, Microsoft has officially announced that the launch of, of another Xbox Series X and S controller design shortly after it was leaked. According to the platform holder, it features a color-shifting purple-blue shimmer with a rubberized purple swirl grip. There are texture grips on the triggers, bumpers, and the back case. The, the name of the controller is Stellar Shift. The controller is available now for $70 at xbox.com and other marketplaces like probably Amazon, Best Buy, and whatnot. So uh, feel free to go grab it if you want. It looks pretty cool. I like this color a lot. I dig it. Next up, VGC reports that Back for Blood developer Turtle Rock have announced that they are ending post-release development for the game, the co-op shooter Back for Blood. In the message on their website, they said that they claim they do uh, that they did not have the resources to continue creating content for Back for Blood. While at the same time, they are focusing on the creation of a next game, an unannounced title, saying that the team is pretty 
small studio for making AAA games. They don't have enough folks to continue working on Back for Blood content while they work on their next title. But yes, they're working on another game. Give it some time. Big things are ahead. The game is currently available as part of Xbox Game Pass for those looking to give it a go. And that is going to do it for all of our news this week. You guys, we have made it all the way down to the comments. You know how it works. Favorite segment of the podcast. You head on over to Xbox on podcast on YouTube, youtube.com at Xbox on podcast slash Xbox on podcast, whatever. Click on the latest episode and drop a comment. I don't care what you say. You can say, Jesse, I got to tell you, you're negative Nancy. And I wish you stayed on that Disney cruise and sailed out to some part of the world where they don't have Xbox or on so that we wouldn't have to hear from you again. And I would say the lifetime on a Disney cruise would be nice. Uh, you can also say something nice like Jesse I wish Xbox would hire you to be their official Disney Cruise um, Xbox purveyor, which would be someone who gets paid to live on a Disney cruise ship, eat cruise food all day, lounge at Disney's private island in the Bahamas. Uh, but every Wednesday, you got to go live using cruise ship Wi-Fi, which is notoriously bad, and uh, and do an Xbox podcast. Other than that, all you got to do is play Xbox in your stateroom and eat food all day and enjoy Disney cruising for life. And I would say, sir, please support to my non-existent Patreon so we can make that a reality because goddamn, that would just be the life. Let's make, let's support, let's create a Patreon account, but it'll be unlike any other Patreon account you've ever seen because it would not be to support me in the podcast. It would be to support us and our future endeavor we will all band together we will create a patreon where we all pull a hundred percent of our profits everything we all make we throw it in a pile and we all live off of it together on a cruise ship what we do is we find a cruise ship that's disgusting enough to house us scallywags and we rent out the entire cruise ship and we do xbox on the high seas xbox on the high seas i love it uh, yeah, it's the Xbox on Cruise, and it's funded through Patreon. It's for all of us, and we all get to go. But there's a kicker. There's a catch. I told you. I told you. There's always a catch. No ketchup. I don't give a shit. How many free chicken tenders? How many free cheeseburgers they're handing out on this goddamn cruise ship? You ain't getting no ketchup. I don't care. It is what it is. All right. Uh, where where was I? Oh, yeah. Those are the kinds of comments you could leave. You could also just ask me a question about Xbox if you're a normal, well-adjusted human being. But then again, you're probably not listening to this podcast if you're a well-adjusted, normal human being. We had seven entries this week or eight entries from seven different listeners. Anyway, I want to start off with a comment from Cody. Is it Pavon or Pavon? Cody writes in and says, Hey, Jesse, found your podcast last year on Spotify. Just wanted to take a second to say thank you. I was listening while out on my route delivering mail in the southwest corner of the U.S., and I look forward to seeing, I look forward to the episode every Thursday. Almost to episode 200. Looking forward to seeing where it goes from there, from here, from there, from everywhere. Cody, thank you so much for writing in. I really appreciate the support. It always is so exciting for me to see a comment from a new uh, from a new listener, this is going to sound super corny. And I really probably shouldn't say because it, it sounds fake, sounds disingenuine. But uh, honest to God, I prefer to see like it makes me. I, I prefer any kind of support. So thank you guys for any way you support the show. But no, no like subscriber count or or like friend requests on Xbox or just like podcast analytic numbers or any of that gives me the dopamine hit and the encouragement to keep doing the show. And the pride and the accomplishment I get doing the show as much as a new comment does. Just seeing someone actually like break down that wall and engage and write in 
and be like, hey, I'm a human being. I exist. I listen to your podcast. And whether you're saying something nice or mean, I don't, I don't give a shit. Something in between. Just uh, getting a, a, com- a first-time comment from a new commenter just really every time uh, brightens my day. And I really appreciate the support, man. So thank you for listening to the show. Thank you so much for the support. I can promise you with 100% certainty I would have given up on this podcast so goddamn long ago if it weren't for people like you leaving comments. So I really appreciate that. So have a great week, Cody. And remember, power your dreams, young sir. Or ma'am, I don't know. This this podcast has an absurdly male centric audience. And listen, I I I want I want more females to listen to the podcast. I want it to be more inclusive. I just don't know how. I I guess there just aren't enough women who want to listen to me bitch and moan about why Crossfire X was actually a good game and y'all are just sleeping on it. I don't know. But uh, our next comment comes in from Mr. Maug, who writes in and says, Good evening, Jesse. Well, unfortunately, the Mountain Dew Pitch Black match was bad. It was just a no-rules match with black light on the Mountain Dew sponsored everywhere. I'm curious how it tastes, though. Still don't fully know what you're talking about. I think you're talking about some kind of MMA, boxing, wrestling thing. But um, Mountain Dew Pitch Black tastes very good. You should try it. It's the only grape-flavored soda that's good. Uh, you said, also, I was tempted to get a Razor Edge, but there's some controversy on the fact that they lied about the RAM capacity on the Wi-Fi-only model. It's still tempting, but I'm also tempted by the Red Magic 8 Pro. I don't know what the Red Magic 8 Pro is, and I didn't know about the controversy on the Razor Edge, but um, did I? Did we talk about this last week? Someone commented about the Razor Edge, asked me about it, and I don't remember if I ever even read the comment. I'm sorry if I forgot, but yeah, I, I told you, I had the $5 placeholder reservation for one of these things. Ended up deciding not to buy it because I'm just trying to be good with money and spend money on things that are like necessary or so tempting I can't say no and I feel like the razor edge is both not necessary and not tempting enough to where I just can't resist it so I'm just gonna say no because it's only moderately tempting so I decided not to get one maybe one day I will get one I don't know but from what I've seen and I haven't followed it too closely since it's come out but from what I've seen people really like the device it's really cool I still think it looks cool I still love to hold one and play with one actually they're about to open a razor store at my local mall which I'm so excited about because in a world where the Microsoft store no longer exists I need some kind of boutique tech store to give me a reason to go to the mall again um so i'm really looking forward to getting my hands on one of these things when i go to the razor store when that opens i think it's supposed to open this month actually but yeah man uh i don't know man go check your local mall see if you have a razor store apparently they're popping up all over the country but um if you're in america but uh yeah i don't i don't know the device looks cool i don't give a shit about whatever the ram controversy is because i'm sure it's something stupid where the device still works perfectly well and everyone's bitching and moaning about 12 gigabytes versus nine onboard, two dedicated DDRM, two, whatever. Get a fucking life, dude. Please, for the love of God, try some codeine, try some, try some Molly, try some Xanax, get together with your boys, dude, listen to freaking uh, Sublime with Rome and, and sit on the lawn and just be a, be a, be a, be a. Next comment comes from Kronky. He's got a double header. I played Chant, Chant. I played Chant this week and the devil in me. The story of the last two years has been double A's and indies. Triple A and first party games have been letdowns, uh, but the little guys have made them some of the best years I've had with gaming. You should play Chop Goblins finally. Kronky, you know I downloaded it on Steam. I just haven't played it yet. I don't have time. I don't have time. I don't have time. You also said Redfall having an always online requirement is super annoying, but also proves my theory that anti-Xbox bias is alive and well. All these mofos saying Diablo 4 will be amazing. Seem to have forgotten that Diablo 3 requires an internet connection. Pretty sure the Hitman games 
uh, are popular too. This was old news a decade ago, but yes, it's annoying. I think it's just funny that this is when people decide to suddenly care. Dude, I completely forgot Diablo 3 and uh, Hitman were always online, but dude, this is the thing. I, I We're getting comments, but I, I just keep refusing to address this, this controversy because I'm just so tired of the controversies and the big stories coming up that I just... It's like, why can't you just talk about something I care about, man? Like, can we just stop talking about freaking Xbox trying to buy the thing and the CMA and stop talking about the always online? Can we just have a conversation for once in gaming where it's like, finally, some civilized adult conversation. We're finally talking about the fact that there's 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 obviously an artistic parallel in Sonic Frontiers with Sonic Unleashed where... They try to play the Dear My Friend credit song with the introduction of Dear Father and the credits of Sonic Frontiers. They try to parallel that. Obviously, Chip is the new character. Obviously, Chip is the new character in Sonic Unleashed. And at the end of the game, where you part ways with him and Sonic and him have to say goodbye, they play the Dear My Friend song in the credits. And it's beautiful because it is just this wonderful little piano send off to this beautiful friendship and then in Sonic Frontiers they pay homage to that because the game is so full of awesome well done fan service that when Sage sacrifices herself for Dr. Eggman uh, they they end the, the game with the Dear Father song which of course is a callback to earlier in the game when she's having those flashbacks of her creation and she's humming the song and you don't recognize it. But then at the credits, you get the song and you get the lyrics version, you get the vocal track and you're like, ah, that's so good. But also, ah, that's like a, that's like a callback to Sonic Unleashed. And also, goddamn, why am I crying about, why am I crying to a fucking song about a synthoid robot thing that was created by Dr. Eggman, one of the least complex and emotional characters in all of, the history of fiction, but you were you doing it anyway, and because it's amazing, because Sonic Frontiers is such a good game, and my God, they did it! My God, they fucking did it! Such a great game, GOTY 2022. But no, let's just continue to talk about playing Harry Potter makes you transphobic, and we're pissed off because games are online, and we're pissed. That the fucking CMA and the British are gonna fucking. The British literally said, if we cannot dominate the U.S. Um, territorially by owning the land and controlling the people, we will limit their corporations when they try to acquire other American-owned corporations. Riddle me this. Why the fuck the, the, the British get to decide whether or not an American company like like Microsoft gets to buy an American company like Activision? Who fucking asked you, Brits? That's what I got to say to you. That's what I got to say to you. Listen, I understand. I understand. It's like, worst case scenario, the British don't approve the deal. Maybe that just means... Xbox and Activision and all the products that they 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 create just don't get to be sold to the UK market. That's fine. You know what? That's fine. Because I don't want the British having final say on what these American industries get to decide to do. Listen, we get it. You think you're so fancy because if you break a leg in your country, a doctor will actually see you and heal you without completely bankrupting you or telling you to go fucking die in the street. Wow, so fancy, so brave of you to actually take care of your people and offer them a way to a way to not live in fear, but rather to just to just live. So brave of you. 
but I don't want you guys running around telling us how to operate. If Bobby Kotick wants to sexually harass a couple of women and then sell out to Microsoft to make a couple extra million dollars, I don't see why the British get to decide whether or not that happens. Doesn't that seem a little fucked up to you? Doesn't that seem a little hashtag Hunter Biden what's in the laptop to you guys? That's all I got to say about that. All right. I think we were uh, I think we were going through the comments. Um, so let's talk about Sam Torres and cruises and Xbox 360. And uh, let's see what it says. Sam Torres writes in, "Hey Sam, cruises are great. I look forward to a Disney cruise soon. Hell yeah, man! Have fun. Uh, Royal Caribbean Carnival MSC cruises were fine, just more value oriented. It's a shame a week after the victory of our direct, we see Xbox is stumbling all over again." With 323 and Crossfire X. <laughs> By now we should be out um, out of this second year uh, doldrums. Off the slow drip free feed of good news and on to the triumph we've been uh, so patient for. Uh, you, you, you're kind of being a little tongue-in-cheek, but you're also kind of right on the money. Uh, if we didn't have Bethesda news, we'd have no news at all. Yes. That's absolutely true. As for your sentiment about Xbox 360 and the store being twilighted soon, the Xbox 360 is a fine reminder that Xbox had it all. I still boot mine up to play Disney Infinity 1.0. Wish you would have made the uh, BC. Wish that would have made the BC list, the backwards compat list. Oh God, yeah. Except I play that on a Wii U because I'm a fucking idiot. And the old Sega slash Marvel games every so often. Um, but it was the first console I ever bought a digital game for, and. And a taste of something as bold as Xbox brand could ever deliver. Thanks for giving us a great show. Uh, thanks for giving this great show you're all every week without fail. Thank you, Sam Torres, so much for writing in, for stroking my ego, and for reminding us how phenomenal Disney Infinity is. Dude, Disney Infinity 1.0, so good. We all know the ranking. And, and correct me if you think I'm wrong, but I, I know I'm right. Disney Infinity 3.0 was the best Disney Infinity. Then 1.0, then 2.0. For sure. But 1.0 is good. I uh, I actually play... So the way I have it set up is I have Disney Infinity 1.0 on my Wii U. And then I have 2.0 and 3.0 on my Xbox One. But that would be too sane for me to stop there. I also have 2.0 on the PlayStation Vita. Yes, it's on the PlayStation Vita. and Look it up. It's a whole thing. Um, because it was the only way you could get Black Suit Spider-Man. So I had to do it. Um, and then I also have 3.0 on the PS4, and then I also have 1.0, 2.0, and 3.0 all on Steam, because when the game Sunset, they put them all on Steam with all the content unlocked under Disney Infinity Gold Edition, so, yeah. Remember when there was a phone version of that game? Alright, next up, Halo Cheeks. Mojo writes in and says, like, is Halo even still a thing? Halo is so 2001, just let it fade away. Or give it to id Software so they can ruin it. So Sorry, so they can turn 343 into 666 and Doom Eternal into fuck out of Halo. Because we all know Doom Guy would run through Master Cheeks with a chainsaw at a million miles per hour, while slow-ass Master Cheeks would be sitting there with a covenant grunt up his ass asking Cortana for help. Facts. Mojo, I don't really know fully what you're trying to get at with this comment, but I do appreciate it because it's funny, it's fun to read, it's entertaining, and I just love the Master Cheeks meme. What the hell? Why did why did they let that happen? Burn Feeling writes in about Always Online Gaming and says, The complaint against Always Online Gaming comes mostly from the idea that these games won't be playable when they turn servers down, even if you bought them. Personally, I don't care too much for them because I 
usually never come back to the games I've played, but it's a concern for some people. Burn feeling, I should have put this comment, I apologize, I, I should have put this comment up at the top of the show under corrections because I think this is obviously a very important talking point that I did not bring up when we talked about Redfall in this story last week. So my apologies there for kind of bearing you down in the, at the bottom here. But um, no, that's an ab- absolute great point. I absolutely didn't even, it, it didn't phase me. But I think it didn't phase me because I'm exactly like you. It's like I'm gonna play. I'm gonna play Redfall. I'm gonna probably beat it, play the hell out of it for a little while, and then move on with my life. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna be mad in 2037 when I can't play Redfall again. Now, I don't want to be so flippant about. It. I know I'm being a little like like dismissive of the concern, but I, I do understand the concern. Much like how you bring up, it is a valid concern it, because. For everyone, there's that there's that game where it's like we should all still have access to this game. Um, like, I mean, I mean, literally the comment before this, Sam Torres is literally talking about how he wishes Disney Infinity 1.0 made the backwards compatible list, but now he just can't really play it because it's on his 360, and you don't really play 360 anymore. Same thing. It's although even worse because if a game goes offline and is unplayable offline, then that's even there's just no way you can't plug in old hardware even to play it. So I, I definitely believe in the preservation of games. I think it's important that we make games accessible, but I don't necessarily see it. Uh, oh, let's put it like this. It's funny how all, all the things we talk about this week in the news kind of allow us to make a conversation around this comment. Remember, we talked about Knockout City uh, ending, sunsetting. Well, they said that they're going to put an offline version of the game for PC, so even even though the game will have sunset, you'll still be able to play the game on PC in an offline mode, I guess, with like local matches or whatever. So that way they can preserve the game. That's great. I think that's exactly the kind of thing you should do when you sunset a game like that. So I don't know. I just kind of assume that if a game like Redfall is going to like go offline in 15 years, they would do a similar thing. There's not much of a precedent to say that that would suggest that that would happen, but I just don't understand. Yeah, no, like, why wouldn't you? Like, why wouldn't Arcane and Bethesda just come up with some thing in 15 years where, like, hey, um, the server support for Deathloop is ending now that the game is 15 years old, but uh, where there's a, a final update is coming to the game that will allow the game to be played in single player offline in, in perpetuity. And so I just kind of assume naturally that that's like a thing that's going to happen, although I don't know. Um, so I guess that's kind of why I don't get too upset. But I, I do get the outrage over the very sentiment. But also to Kronky's point, <laughs> it is kind of funny how that um, that happens. How like no one's phased by some games that are always online and then the world is up at arms when the new Xbox exclusive is going to have it. But hey, our final comment of the week comes from none other than the headhunting Halo who says... 100% I, I golden eye I golden eye all achievos are mine took some time but I got it also running into an issue on Sonic Frontiers how do you beat the end giganto guy my strength level is on 14 how do you level up honestly I was just trying to rush through it before Hogwarts got here so pumped to play and why would they not continue Titanfall so much fun always felt so good day one people just gave up fast with two sadly because if I remember they were big games coming out at a time of COD, maybe. Explains the player count. Congrats on the milestone on episodes, my man. Thank you, Headhunting Halo. 
Um, Sonic Frontiers, look up a video on that. I don't, I don't really remember, but you don't need to level up your strength or anything to beat that guy. Those bosses, it doesn't matter what level you are, as long as you're collecting rings as supersonic um, consistently, you can stay alive, so don't worry about your strength level. Um, because your attacks all deal the same damage. I don't remember which one Giganto is. Is that the first or the second boss? I would honestly just look up a YouTube video and watch someone defeat him because they're all pretty, they're all pretty like cinematic bosses. They're not like terribly difficult. Um, if you're struggling with something, it's probably because you just got to figure out what, what the rhythm is, like what the attack pattern is and not, <clears throat> and not like uh, you need to level up to become stronger because that's not the case. That's not really how this game works. So I would just recommend looking up a video and seeing how they do it in the video because chances are you're probably just probably just missing one of the steps because I remember it was the second or the third boss, whichever one, I think it's the second boss, the one where you're like, he, he's like the, the dragon in the sky flying around. I, I was confused on that one a little bit too. I was like, what the fuck am I missing? And I watched a video where someone else fought him. I was like, oh, dumbass, duh, that's how you do it. Because I wasn't catching which missiles you were supposed to deflect and which ones you were supposed to dodge or something like that. So just just look up a video. I'm sure you'll figure it out. Um, but don't worry about your strength level. That has nothing to do with it. Um, blah, 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 blah. Right, same thing, man. Just trying to get some shit done before Hogwarts Legacy. But yeah, I mean, the Titanfall thing, we already touched on it. You know, it's like, yeah, they, they released Titanfall 2 at a bad time. But also, you can't fault Respawn and EA, in a sense, for leaning so hard into Apex and kind of abandoning Titanfall. You can blame EA for how they sent Titanfall 2 out to die, but you can't really blame them for wanting to go more all-in on Apex Legends when Apex Legends had no business being as big as it was and having the sustainability it has. But it, but here we are, four years later, and the game's still huge. So you just you gotta understand why, you know, Titanfall at its biggest was pretty decent. It was a decent success, but it was nowhere close to Apex Legends' success. And so you gotta follow the money, man. Your 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 business out there to make money, you gotta follow the money. Unfortunately, so I don't love it, but it's it's reality. But guys, it's gonna do it for our podcast this week. Guys, I am tired. I'm losing my voice. So I'm probably just gonna start editing the show, get it up there for you. So tomorrow you can listen to it while you drive around coast to coast. You're probably, I would venture to say most Xbox On listeners are probably on Route 66 right now doing the doing the drive because they're huge fans of the Pixar movie Cars and they wanna pay homage to the California car culture of the movie and do the iconic Route 66 drive. So I assume you probably all listen to Xbox On as you cruise down Route 66 all the way from Chicago to LA. And if that's the case, ma'am, more power to you. That's my dream trip is to do that trip. Um, fly to Chicago, rent a car, drive it all the way to LA via Route 66, drop the car off in LA, spend a couple days at Disneyland, fly back home to Florida. That is the dream vacation. I assume most of you are probably doing that right this second. So stay safe out there, man. There are some stretches where there's a long time without you, you go a long distance before you hit another gas station. So make sure you're fueling up every chance you get. Make sure you got a spare tire packed. Make sure you got plenty of water to keep you hydrated. And until next week, you guys, take care, play some good games, enjoy Hogwarts Legacy. Guess what? If you enjoy the game, you're just enjoying a video game. You're not a bigot. You're not transphobic. You're just enjoying a video game. So don't worry about what others say. Just be yourselves. Eat some delicious food. Gain some weight. Tell your doctor they're wrong if they tell you that you're you're at risk for heart disease. And uh, until next week, power your dreams.